Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about the self-insert in fan fiction. And I make that distinction because it is entirely possible for a self-insert to exist in original fiction as well. But tonight, we're going to talk about fan fiction. Cause that's, I think that's where it stands out for me um, more than it does in, in fiction. Because there is actually a whole genre of fiction kind of dedicated to the self-insert. It's called Chicklet. <laughs> really? <laughs> I just got to say it. <laughs> okay, but in fandom, it takes on a different tone and a different context. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and there are various ways that the self-insert happens in fandom. Um, and there's satire. Um, there's um, the Mary Sue situation which is not something which is not satire but often becomes very deeply hilarious um it it, it mary also an issue of bad craft um yeah mary be, sue may be a self-insert but isn't always right but it can so. manifest that way i think a lot of times the most egregious self-inserts are mary sue's which is Absolutely. why they're so horrible um yeah. self-exploration is another way that self-insert happens in fandom um, where people are trying to work through their own issues and um, and they insert themselves into situations in their fan fiction to help them deal with it. It's a perfectly legitimate thing to do in your writing. I have done it. Have I shared it? No. And the last one is literary masturbation. Now, <laughs> here's the thing about self-self-inserts and why they often in fandom are so awful and it is because of the masturbation eagle um, angle um you see writers um riding themselves into harry potter so they can imagine themselves banging harry potter <laughs> yeah and that gets to be it it leads to a kind of fetish fetishization mm, sorry my tongue's a little wonky tonight um of actors and characters but mostly actors uh and i think that's where you start to see that really common theme in in some fandoms of reader slash the mandalorian or reader yeah i was thinking about that before we got on this is that that probably the reader the reader insert fic is probably an outshoot of self-insert because i think mm -hmm. fandom reacted pretty negatively to, to most self-inserts not all especially when an author really declares a self-insert and it's funny or something along those lines um when like there's there's an author in the buffy fandom who often put herself in as the demon of the week in her in her in her stories um which often was hysterical, <laughs> which was often hysterical, uh, but she was very clear about it because the de the demon had her freaking name. It wasn't very, it wasn't masked, you know. It, it was very obvious she was making the demon herself, and the demon always had her same hobbies and stuff, you know, like cats and I think knitted and stuff like that. So uh, sometimes these things can be very amusing, but as a whole, fandom tended to really react very negatively to author insert so which is what self-insert is is author insert fic and usually because it, it, people come to fandom to read about the fandom characters and when when a, a character no one's heard of and we'll talk about some exceptions to this but in general when a character no one has heard of is taking center stage and 
um, the, the story is all about them. And, and I'm not talking about a situation where you, you've grown a character over time and through series, and then they kind of get their own story. I'm talking about first rattle mm-hmm. out of the box, you know, the lost Buckley sibling is turning up in LA and they're obviously the focus of the story. No one's ever heard of this character. Before. It, it comes across whether, whether the author will admit to it or not as a self-insert. Fandom as a whole reacted very negatively to these types of stories. Um, and I think reader insert became the acceptable way for authors to write this kind of thing, which was instead of imagining me begging the Mandalorian, why don't you imagine you as the reader banging the Mandalorian, <laughs> which I don't really find to be much better, but, um, I'm you know. deeply opposed. I'm deeply opposed to second person fiction. So there's that, but I am offended by second person erotica. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it kind Go of, the corner. it kind of starts to feel like they're involving you in a situation that you did not agree to. Yeah, where's my safe word I want out right now? <laughs> um, but someone said earlier that they're reading they were reading fics that were self inserts but they were actually original characters. Um, if you're reading fics that are labeled self insert, there's probably just one character in the story that's self insert. And if they're surrounded by a bunch of original characters, that isn't quite like the saying that all of the characters are self-insert. Um, that'd be really weird and kind of John Malkovich of them, but whatever. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but it was it actually it was because of the rash of self-inserts, especially self-inserts who were Mary Sue's. So when you kind of start drilling down into it, you had self-inserts who were Mary Sue's or just Mary Sue's that the author wouldn't admit was a self-insert. Um, is why people started loathing original characters. Okay. The thing is, it's, I think it's fine to write this kind of thing if that's what you want to do. The problem, it becomes not telling people that's what you're doing and trying to make, be being disingenuous about it. Um, cause the thing is, and so what happened is <laughs> we, we, we had this weird, this rash of weird behavior that evolved. We've talked about a little bit of this in some other podcasts, but there's this kind of evolution of strange fandom behavior that people got where they had for starters no female ocs at all were allowed but also ocs in general were frowned on so it was better to have 50 crossovers and somehow make that make sense than to have a a major character who was an original character and that doesn't make any sense either um and you really need to be able to write original characters to flesh out the issues you have in, in fan fiction. There's this weird thing. There's this weird disconnect. Uh, Sometimes I'll read a 911 story where the, even though Canon shows a larger basic, basically unnamed group of firefighters that work a shift um, every once in a while, Bobby will call them out by name over the, um, radio but nobody interacts with these people they just somehow and sometimes they're not even shift. the same name from one episode to the other right it's different it's different people on a shift so the interesting thing is sometimes i'll read a story where the entirety of a shift is bobby hen jim eddie and buck and that makes this person is trying so hard not to write an original character that they have made the entire shift of a, of a Los Angeles fire station with um, two major apparatus and at least one, if not two ambulances, a cast of five people. Yeah, okay. 
I mean, they're spoiled for choice. They're, they're spoiled for choice when they get a call. Hey, Bobby, do you think we should take the engine? Do you think we should take the ladder? I don't know. We took the ladder last time. Let's take the engine. You're, yeah, okay. Reminded me of something. I'm going to tell, tell you guys a little side story. It, it's awful, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, and I'm going to break my own rule about religion. Okay, so me and my husband were having a discussion about religion. And as one does in your kitchen on a Saturday. Um... And he is religious, and I am not. Those of you probably know very well that I'm an atheist. Um, and so something about exorcism, and he said the Catholic Church doesn't do exorcisms anymore. I said, you fucking serious? So I come over here, and I Google, and I find <laughs> one of the archdiocese websites for, I think it was Boston, actually has a whole webpage dedicated to exorcism and how you go about getting one. And they have an email address, a phone number, and an app <laughs> so i sent him the link and i said dude I, well i and i titled it my subject line for my email was yeah okay <laughs> i sent him the so, link i said you could download the app to get an exorcism seriously there's an app for that i there's an app for that it. it's an app to make an appointment i assume they're not going to try to exercise you through the app but who knows but anyway he I mean, had read an article where the catholic church was claiming not to do it anymore but it is fundamentally untrue and there might have been like a time period where they stopped but somewhere around 90, like the um 2020 I guess COVID drove them crazy because it, sh <laughs> it shot right back up again. <laughs> uh, COVID crazy now has a whole new meaning. And it came up because um, there was a crime that took place and people were saying the person that did this crime um, was evil when they were clearly mentally ill. And I told him that historically speaking, mentally ill people were often considered to be evil and a lot of schizophrenics were given exorcisms by the church under the assumption that they were actually being possessed by a demon um and so that's where that whole conversation came from if you guys were curious my husband and I actually actively discuss religion ends up arguing um aforementioned militant atheist speaking anyways but you're yeah okay it reminded me of that email i'd sent him with the app <laughs> have an app for that and i'm sure it's just like a communication app but it's hilarious that there was like here's our app <laughs> like shut up <laughs> you can download our app okay <laughs> i mean during covid that might have been the safest way to get an exorcism <laughs> but you know the, thing, the funny thing about um People try, people, and the thing is, some people, there's a lot of reasons people will steer away from writing OCs. It could be that they're new to fandom, or they're new to writing, and they aren't comfortable. That they're, a lot of people get into writing fan fiction because they want to work with characters that are familiar. And I completely understand that. And then all of a sudden they're in the, in the circumstance that they've got five characters to work with, and they need ten. So what do they do? Well, there, like I said, there was a time in fandom when the answer was to write as big a crossover as you could possibly handle <laughs> in order to avoid writing an original character. And that just gets unwieldy. Um, Especially in a world like uh, in Harry Potter where you literally can, there, there are a limited number of adults. They already have jobs. So you can't put Minerva behind the counter of a shop in the middle of Nocturne Alley. She's got better shit to do. She can't run this counter for me. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, exactly. You've got to. And so, so you got to write OCs. It just has to happen. But what do you do with that OC when you write them? And there, I, I, 
I get it. I, I mean, I was, okay, boy, that was going to come out wrong, but what I started to say is I was 12 once, too. <laughs> that that's was, 100% that's... accurate and very relatable, because I, too, was that 12-year-old writer. <laughs> who, who crafted their first original character, and it was basically me. Oh, let's be real. Okay, I get it. So, I get it. I do. But there comes a point at which you, it, it, it's uncomfortable, honestly, to see yourself in the story. I, I'll just put that out there. Um, and I remember, you know, I'm not saying it's ever okay to critique. Uh, uh, this is not about the critiquing of authors being okay, but there certainly was a point in time in fandom when critiquing of authors, especially like on Yahoo groups, was done much more openly. And you would see these original characters, and the author would react so get so upset at any critique of that original. And then you started to realize that what they were upset about was critique of them. And, um, and and these characters often had a disproportional role. It's like they really consume too much of the oxygen in a given. So instead of them doing what they're supposed to do and fulfilling the the, the function they have in the in the in the story. This is what I would call an author not wanting to admit their self-insert, is the, the character is consuming all of the energy, this, this side character, you know? So it's like they're supposed to be at a scene putting out a fire, um, and, and there's Boris, you know, and they're talking about Boris's, um, I don't know what it's Boris, his greenhouse. <laughs> and everybody everybody stops putting out a blaze to talk about Horace's greenhouse and these, you know, I don't know, toxic plants that he's growing for some dumbass reason. Or maybe he grows marijuana. He's got a license to grow pot because he went to California. He can't smoke it because he's a firefighter. <laughs> you know, and there's this But Jilly digresses. Old... <laughs> Jilly digresses. But, and there's this whole big old thing and it's like, aren't they supposed to be putting out a fire? And this story is supposed to have nothing to do with Boris and yet... We have just spent the last two pages talking about Boris's greenhouse, and Boris's greenhouse has the story. So this is what I mean about this: these characters, these self-insert characters, wind up consuming all of this what I call on-screen oxygen, and it's like, what are they doing? And you notice it, you know, and you go, "What is going I on?" I think there? the the mixture of the Mary Sue and the self-insert is when it comes into a fandom, and you see it overtly in a fandom like Harry Potter, where Harry Potter has a very specific thing. He has a destiny. Um, and one of the stumbling blocks I actually had when I was writing The Absence of War was taking that destiny from him. Um, because And giving it to an original character. Because... You see that happening in Fix, where there's this Mary Sue character that comes along, solves all Harry's problems, takes him shopping, and then there's no story to be told. And so, there is this, there's this kind of transitioning that happens in the absence of war, where Armand Deering, um, basically becomes Harry's grandfather, and he makes a decision to stand in Harry's place, even if it means defying fate. And he asked Harry to take that leap of faith with him. And so in allowing Harry to make that decision and to have Armand act on his behalf, to be his hand in the prophecy, it allowed Harry to complete his fate in a different way. And so that I didn't take that away from him, but gave it, but allowed him to bequeath that duty to Armand as part of a, a gesture of trust and and love. This is this man who is going to stand between you and your mortal enemy, just as your mother did before. And so there's that mirror of Lily and Armand 
in the absence of war um, that I didn't intend when I plotted, but it came out when I wrote. And that often happens with themes like that. I often choose to mirror situations in characters. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love the the uh, the friction of it. Um, one of my favorite mirroring situations in my writing is Andy Shepard on Earth of Sentinels of Atlantis and John Shepard in Pegasus. And um, Andy is basically John's mirror. He came on very he came online very young. Um, he is, he's, he's extremely gifted just the way John was, um, is, and they have the same, um, situation as far as the Sentinel goes. And Andy has this relationship with Patrick that John could only have wished for. So Andy is this, um, this mirror for John. Um, and when I was writing, um, Where Angels Fear to Tread this year, I wanted to kind of which is really why when you guys see it again, it's going to be twice as big as it was, because it was. It's probably going to be every bit of of 100K when you see it again. Um, and right now, it's hovering at around 63 or 64K, I think. Maybe 67. I can't remember. Um, but what I wanted to mirror in the storytelling was Charlie O'Neill's relationship with his mutation versus John's relationship with his mutation. Um, and the hyper-focus that everybody has on John and his mutation on Atlantis and how that could potentially impact people on Earth. And so when I got to that point, I realized that I hadn't set it up properly in my narrative, so I didn't include it. But when I do my second draft, it will, I hope to find 64K. Thank you, Nick. Um, I kind of figured you'd go look. Um, I, I want to explore that in my second draft. Anyways, but Charlie O'Neill in, in, is basically an original character in my story because he we don't get we we get practically nothing of Charlie, we get a weird alien version um, version of him in SG one. It's not really Charlie; it's an alien. Um, and so, developing him as a character was was a lot of fun. I really enjoy creating or filling out the background of canon characters that that there's nothing there because it gives you a lot of room to to kind of play and grow with con concepts without having that dreaded original character label. That's like Miko. You can do anything you want with Miko. She's a blank slate. Now I'm at the point where I really enjoy writing them fit a specific purpose in the story and making them as well-rounded as I can within the confines of the purpose. So this is not really a discussion about, you know, it, it's not about don't write original characters. It's not even about don't write self-inserts. It's about be clear about what you're doing, you know? Um, if if you have a, uh, if you're writing an 11-year-old named, you know, Roberta, who is going to Hogwarts, and uh, Roberta uh, has all these amazing talents because he's as smart as Hermione and as powerful um, and as loyal as Ron. I have a really hard time getting that out of my mouth, but whatever. Um, and, you know, that she steps up to the plate and uh, she takes over Harry's destiny because she believes in him and because she's whatever. That, well, for starters, Mary Sue, I'm just going to call it like I see it, Mary Sue, and you're going to have a hard time persuading me that that's not a self-insert, but you can tell me that if you really want to. Write it, write it if you want to, just don't try to play it off as something that it isn't. You know what I mean? And I think that's that what people get frustrated. Yeah, people get frustrated with not feeling like 
this the feeling like a story that's misrepresented or that there's a bait and switch um or that uh or whatever it, it, it again it's not about original characters it's about somebody thinks they're reading a story about harry potter and they're really reading a story about roberta roberta bradley who is who is taking on harry's destiny um <laughs> so you know do what you want to do that's always the thing is do what you want to do but at least be honest with yourself and with ever and with and with your presentation because you'll you for starters you get way less but the here's the thing one of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to be straightforward about what's going on in their story is because they know they're going to get less reader if they are straightforward about what the story is and that is a bullshit reason <laughs> and we see that across is, the board not just yeah. in self-inserts or Mary Sue situations. It happens with non-con and with character deaths. <sighs> I would rather have three genuinely happy readers than a hundred furious ones. Just saying. Um, I One of the dangers, I think, of a self-insert that you need to be very aware of, especially if you're aware enough to know that you are actually writing a self-insert, and we do need to acknowledge that there are sometimes there are people who simply are not self-actualized and don't know they're writing themselves into their work. I mean, I've, I've met that writer in real life. They have no idea what they're doing. They have yeah, no idea I, they're absolutely. doing it. Um, and the thing about that is, is that when you knowingly put yourself in your work and then you put that work out there on the internet and you're exploring your personal, your deeply personal experiences in a fictional setting and then turn around and publishing it, you are opening yourself up to a huge amount of criticism that is going to be very personal, very and it's personal. Hurt. Especially if, let's say you're mirroring your real life circumstances about an event dramatic. And then somebody comes along and offers their opinion about how this isn't realistic. That's not the way that goes. Da, 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 da. Well, you're going to go from zero to 60 in your reaction in about one second because yeah. they're challenging your real life experience. Um, and not just your real life experience as in I've encountered this in the real world, but this happened to you. And it's going to be deeply personal and deeply offensive and, you know, just. And it's, you know, when you have a trauma and you share that trauma with somebody else and they invalidate it, it is demoralizing on a level that is hard to speak. And it will linger on you for a very long time. So and, just be really careful with that. People have no ability to, ex to, to just phrase things. I mean, one of the things we've encouraged people to do on the server is to try to phrase their experiences as their opinion or and, and to be less absolute as if their assertion encompasses all of uh, all experience um and unless something is a fact to present it like this is my opinion this is what i think or this is my experience as opposed to this is because what happens is you're gonna when you're in an environment with 1300 other people there's going to be 1200 of them who don't share your universal truth and it gets people annoyed because they're like, well, that's not the way that worked for me, or that's not the way that works in my country, or that's not the way that works in my state, or whatever. And then it's a dumbass point that winds up becoming a a, a dumbass com topic of conversation. And now if people just want to talk about something, that's fine. But a lot of times it winds up, you know, this, this argument just based upon the fact that somebody asserted something as fact. So 
this is you get this same dynamic happening. You have a, you have a, you, your character going through an experience. This character is you. The experience is yours. And somebody just asserts that's not the way that works. Not that that's not the way that works in their opinion, or not that that's the way that works in their experience, or that's not the way it worked when that happened to them. But that's not the way it works. So this just is as a unrealistic. fact. They're putting that out as there a as fact. a fact that you have to swallow so, wholesale and you get no choice. Or, or they'll, oh, they'll say, they'll say on a, somewhere in public that this story is completely unrealistic because of the way this author presented this event, and you know they don't clearly don't know anything about what this kind of thing is like, and da 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 da. Um, I've actually seen, not this is not about self-insert, but there are people who do draw upon their own real life experiences with things like living with a disability or whatever. Um, or with having a disease and or with having a, a medical condition or whatever and they will put that their real life experience with it into a character circumstance right and then see someone discuss it and say that they wrote it wrong um like excuse you they wrote it wrong they um, didn't pluck your experience out of your head therefore it's wrong um there was a case i saw of somebody writing about somebody recovering being in a wheelchair and this was somebody writing from the position of someone who, and she disclosed this later, that she has lived her entire adult life. You know, she's been in a wheelchair her entire adult life. And so she knows what that experience is like. And yet somebody sitting there putting her on blast in public for writing um, wheelchair-based disabilities wrong. wrong. Not, why are they discussing it? It's a dumbass discussion point to begin with. So what a thing for people to decide somebody's getting wrong, right? Like, I see people putting people on blast in, in Discord servers all the time about people not writing Christopher Cerebral Palsy correctly, which is really interesting considering that Cerebral Palsy is a, 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 a there's a breadth of conditions <clears throat> and severity of manifestation of symptoms that come along with Cerebral Palsy, and there are no two who have the exact same presentation of it. So for somebody to say it is factually writing it wrong is an interesting assertion um, and, it, and it was writing it and the idea was writing it wrong they were writing it wrong because they didn't make Christopher disabled um, which is wow they wanted and basically they wanted they, what, what I got out of it they wanted Christopher uh, and they decided that uh, Christopher's condition would worsen some things can work cerebral palsy is not progressive um, but some things especially if there's growth condition worsen if they're not corrected with age but that is not the same thing as his disability is guaranteed to get worse. Therefore, this person is not writing him um, disabled enough. It stands to reason that if he has proper surgeries, continues with physical therapy, he would actually get stronger over time as his body matured and his muscles thickened up with, with puberty. Yeah. Hormones could do a lot for him. So, I mean... And it all, it's, the stages of life mean a lot to somebody with cerebral palsy. And since I've got people, no, not, I've got people with cerebral palsy in my family and I have friends with cerebral palsy, I've seen how this, this progresses and how different, um, and not everybody who needed gait trainers or crutches stays with crutches or winds up in a wheelchair. And this discussion was assertive that for certain that Christopher in a wheelchair by the time he was an adult. And I was like, where the, and, and. And so, therefore, everybody who writes Christopher um, is not writing him. And they specifically I... put this one story on blast as not write, as writing him wrong for, for decreasing his disability as he got older. I find that very offensive. It is offensive. Um, <clears throat> but, 
a lot of times fa- fandom has this this tone where they a lot of people take things very personally that they read um if you don't write their brand of bi- bisexuality you're biphobic if you write a character or a male character who can get pregnant you're transphobic um if you don't like a character of color you're a racist we, we've already had that big ass discussion and with the cannonball with the wrecking ball um what the prop but the thing is is that the the self-insert the mary sue the um the reader slash character works all of that is about inserting your personal thoughts wishes and sometimes your personal gatekeeping into fandom and trying to make everybody else do it with you now we see that repeatedly in fandoms and sometimes it's killed fandoms outright and other times it's changed fandom so much that the original canon barely exists sitting all on looking um and it's because of that gatekeeping, like, oh, you have to write Christopher just this way. Oh, you have to write this character just this way. This character can't be a bad guy. Um, and if you hate this character, you're racist. My husband wanted everybody, wants you all to know that hating a character of color because they're an asshole doesn't make you a racist. And he considers himself an authority on that. <laughs> Thank you, Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> Being an African American man over fifty in America, he has decided <laughs> this is America. <laughs> uh, but the thing with the, the thing with the situation with 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 that Christopher thing was that what was going on was they are really imposing their themselves. They're really themselves. The what I got out of more of the discussion. I kind of I mean I wrote recently wrote Christopher as having had as an adult had his cerebral palsy symptoms improve with surgeries and with more physical therapy and with puberty and getting, you know, grown that his, his, um, reliance on things like crutches diminished as he got older. Um, it stands to reason because also you have to think about the way, um, men are structured. A woman's center of gravity is pretty low. It's in the hips basically. Um, and a man's center of gravity is a little high. So, as Christopher gets older, his body is going to change, and his needs, as far as, like, mobility, are going to change with him. And where women have their strength in their legs and their thighs, men don't. Men can have really strong, but, like, physiologically speaking, women are stronger in the bottom than we are in the top. For childbirth reasons. (laughs) That's just the way our bodies are worked. Um, so there's going to be changes as far as puberty goes, um, for somebody with cerebral palsy, depending on their biological sex, because our bodies are not the same. Um, and what those hormones do to you is they flood your system and it, it, it does, it does stuff. So, I mean, I could have gotten really bent and offended since I really, I recently wrote a story that, um, would have, if they had read it, they would have been deeply offended by. They probably would have called it ableist or something like that because I um, had him walking just a cane um, and they didn't have him in a wheelchair. Uh, but I just, I, I recognize this for what it was, which was they were inserting themselves onto the character and being mad at anybody who didn't write them. Okay. And so that's fine. I just kind of like rolled my eyes at these basically. This 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 whole policy of making Christopher worse as he ages is also a form of character assassination, and I don't mean for Christopher, I mean for Eddie. It implies that Eddie checks out and stops being an involved parent, stops taking care of his son, stops getting him the treatment 
and medical care that he needs, doesn't make sure he gets the surgery he needs as he grows with his bones and his muscles changing through puberty. Um, and it makes Eddie Diaz seem like a very shit parent. Because for Christopher to be as mobile as he is right now, to end up in a wheelchair in his 20s, that's 100% medical neglect. Yeah, it, it would be weird. It would be weird. Especially, since, I mean, the gait issues are around hip dysplasia, which probably would be something he would have surgically corrected or, or around puberty or after. Yeah, so I've got um, that growth they, they spurt. Would, they, would only, they would only do it sooner if it was rare, which it's not mm-hmm. bad enough. It, he can walk with But anyway, I mean, somebody, it, it's all very variable, right? So, um, but, but well, the idea... I have noticed in fandom that writers try to make Christopher's circumstances worse for drama value like you know having him have a really bad relationship with Anna and Eddie ignoring it and what that does is it creates drama for Christopher but it makes Eddie out to be an awful parent awful that he would tolerate this woman in his son's life when his son is miserable around her in in these stories or he's out, outright afraid of her in these stories and he keeps Eddie keeps leaving him with her and it's like you are literally assassinating that character. When you yeah, have it's... Eddie ignore Christopher's comfort and his wishes and his feelings and his fears, you're making him an you're making Eddie an awful human being. Awful. Yeah. And people don't realize that that's what they're doing. But with this situation with this, you know, the, what they're calling it ableist, you know, they're like they're, they're throwing out the big the big buzzword to to try to intimidate anybody who happened to discussion. And so what they wanted and they had this discussion in public so that any writers who saw it would be intimidated by being called ableist for um, writing Christopher either being the same or improving as time went on. Yeah, erasing his disability. Um and trying to basically trying to passive aggressively intimidate people into writing Christopher, writing Christopher the way they want. But can you imagine? And this is, goes to the self-insert thing. If you actually had written, if you had cerebral palsy and you had written Christopher to the way maybe you your own personal experience of cerebral palsy, can you imagine how invalidating and how infuriating? that discussion would be. And that is not a case of Christopher being a self-insert. That is just a case of you drawing on your own experiences. Now take that to the next level where you've written an original character that is you, that is completely based upon your life experiences and your own physical conditions. And then a couple of ass whites are talking about it in public and about how, how you got it wrong and how you don't know anything about, let's say MS, when you have MS. And that's what you're writing about. It would be hurtful. It would be infuriating. It would just be, and I just, I would, I would just, just do what you want, but I would, I would encourage you not to put yourself through that. Years ago. It's one thing. Many years ago. Like, I'm going to say like 20 years ago, I was in a writer's group and there was, um, they had this awful thing where you had to share your work with other people. I know, right? (laughs) And we were doing these short stories and we would pass them around. Thankfully, we had to read them out loud because I would have bailed, 100% bailed. There's no fucking way I'd have read out loud to other people my own work. What? No. Um, especially at that age. Uh, and one of the stories that got passed around was a short story about a woman who um, met a man while she was blind. She had been in a car accident, taken a severe head injury, and it had caused blindness. Um, and throughout the story, she falls in love with this man, and uh, he's not traditionally attractive. Uh, and the thing about you, this, so 
by the end of the short story, it's about 10,000. Um, she has regained her sight and she's still in love with this man. Um, and it ends with them, um, like engaged to be married. And it was a beautiful story. It was very well written. I really enjoyed it. And this woman, this one woman in the group was, was reading it and she just started laughing. And she said, it's the most ridiculous thing you've, I've ever heard. No one just goes blind from a car accident and then gets their sight back in a year. It's so stupid. And this woman, this beautiful woman who suddenly got her sight back would dump this ugly man. She had neglected to read the front page of that stapled short story where it was listed as autobiographical. Ooh. It was a story of that woman meeting her husband after she had a car accident. She was blind for two years. So the author, she stood up and she grabbed her story and she was shaking and she ran out of the group. And I, it was awful. It was absolutely fucking. And we were just looking at her like, I said, what's the matter with you? She said, well, it was a stupid story. I said, it was a fucking true story. And she said, what? I said, that was, it's, it was on the front page. It was autobiographical. That was her story of her meeting her husband, her husband of 15 years, the father of her children. And she said, oh, it was still stupid. Of course, because she has to defend her position. I turned to the leader of the group and I said, I don't mean to be an asshole about this, but it's me or her. And my friends sit next to me go, yeah, it's us or her. I'm not, uh-uh, I'm not, uh-uh, I'm not going to be in a group with this woman. And she got kicked out of the group because it was awful. And even if it hadn't been true, her narrow life experience was more important to her than exploring, uh, uh, than exploring a concept that she had no experience with. And that kind of mentality is very common. So you have to be careful of how much you put into, of yourself in character. That's always, the thing is you always put something it's not just original characters that you're putting stump that you're putting something into because we have to flesh out canon characters too. We don't get and in most situations we do not get enough knowledge about to be able to write them. We have to flesh out stuff. So you're putting time and effort into these characters anyway, and then you write original characters. Uh, just be cautious about how much of how much of you you're plugging in. It's one thing to draw on your own experiences and say my expertise says this. Or um, I've lived on the, you know, I'm more, I'm much more likely to set a story on the West Coast than I am, or Texas, than anywhere else because <laughs> my adult life has been spent in West Coast and Texas. I don't really, I mean, I I lived in the South when I was a kid, but um, it's a, it's a vaguer recollection. So I mean, sometimes you go with what you know, and I can speak um, without having to do a lot of research. I can think confidently to what it's like to be on the West Coast, right? So sometimes you, you go with what you know. And that's not the same thing as just inserting yourself into a character. And then you're deeply invested in that character. And then you're deeply hurt when people don't get it. Or when they hate the character. What if they don't get what you're doing and this character is supposed to be you and they hate it? What if they hate that character? Then what? Everyone, everyone has these little bleeds into their work. Like, for instance... Um... You guys want to hear Lady Holder's bleed? Coffee. Every single one of her characters is like, more than me. She, <laughs> they have their own kinds of coffee they prefer. And it's because she really likes coffee a lot. Me, food. You might have noticed. <laughs> I, I will be putting the food that I eat, that I, that I want to eat in my stories all the time. Did y'all guess that my favorite seafood is calamari? <laughs> I bet some of you did. <laughs> 
because it just it bleeds in to your to your work, right? These little things bleed in. Um, <clears throat> sometimes my opinions on religion bleed into my work. It, that that's what happens. Um, for instance, I happen to know that Jilly has really strong opinions about office furniture. I do. I do. <laughs> And sometimes she can't help herself. Um, but like, I honestly have stopped my story to research when I was finishing up Only Time, which I did recently. It's in the 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 first draft is completed 117k. Um, when I was, I actually stopped three or four times in the writing to look up different dishes for Harry to cook. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> what are we having for dinner tonight? What are we having for dinner tonight? Right, we. Oh, it's the a- food. The food. The food thing is also, by the way, in case y'all didn't notice, in the absence of war. Oh yeah, it is all. See, Patrice is so awesome for that, though. You know, yeah, you got a character. And, and- you, you've got a character you can funnel that through, and that's one of the things that's key is you've got a character you can put it through where it makes sense, and it makes sense that Harry's really in this story that Harry's really into cooking. So that's where you got to have when you're going to put stuff like that in. It's got to be coming through a character where it makes sense. Like, it makes a lot of sense, like, if you're doing 911, for Bobby to be really food-focused, or, or, um, um, yeah. or Buck, maybe, Buck, maybe. But, yes, but to have every character be constantly talking about gourmet food, it would get to be overwhelming. But I especially enjoyed writing Patrice because it let me explore, um, like, it, I looked at, like, a, a lot of French cuisine. Um, which is that also kind of bled over into Harry's characterization in Only Time because I'd already done all that research about the kinds of things that Vila would want to eat, and I had this kind of headcanon that they're very you know seafood focused, and so Harry would have adjusted his what he produced in his kitchen to take care of his mate, you know, Draco being a Vila. Um, so it was a lot of times you can read you can reuse that kind of research that you do and that headcanon that you develop for a character like Patrice who is an original character and someone recently I've gotten two or three people commenting on the fact that Patrice is a male name Patrice is a male name in some countries it's gender neutral in others but Patrice is a magical creature and I can call her whatever I want (laughs) right and people need people need to get over um the whole gendered name things and move on yeah I agree I grew up with a girl named Wesley, so suck a dick. I have to say, what, even though even though uh, Daniel Radcliffe was playing the bad guy in Lost City, one of my favorite moments was Abigail, and every conversation goes, it's gender neutral, and he gave them a lecture about the gender neutrality of his name. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I knew, um, I, I knew, um, what was it? Was it Mary? Was it Sue? It was, I forget. But I knew a guy who had a name that I that I assumed to be um, female. Also, Electo Caro in um, Harry Potter. Electo and Amicus. I always thought Electo was... I mixed them up, and I assumed that Electo was the male and Amicus was the girl, but it's the exact opposite, or was it the other way around? But either way, I, I mixed their genders up. I'm pretty sure I assumed Electo was the male, and Electo's actually the sister. Yeah, I got because those mixed up too, but because uh, I don't find either names, neither name strikes jumps out at me. I am I am gendered, but you know. Well, here's the thing about somebody saying your name is female, is they're implying that you should be insulted by that. Don't you know you have a girl name? Is well, what's wrong with having a girl name? And you'll make them explain it. Like there's a little moment in um, I wrote this tiny short story for Harry Potter where Harry is being raised by. 
Petunia's half-sister, Petunia Lily's half-sister, an older sister. It's called the Other Evans Girl. Um, and Harry, uh, now see the thing is, is that witch and wizard both are gender neutral terms in reality. Now they're very gendered in Harry Potter, um, but they're not actually gendered in the use of the language. Um, and Harry calls Dumbledore a witch and he corrects him and says he's a wizard. And Harry's like, what's wrong with being a witch? <laughs> the wrong with being a witch. <laughs> But I'm not sure if I'm that actually went double edit or not. <laughs> I was thinking the same exact thing. Um, and uh, she's so pretty. Uh, Mary Louise Parker is so pretty. <laughs> she's just really pretty. Uh, I um, I have a little crush, I guess, because she's just very attractive to me. Um, I think but, she's uh, pretty too, but I, I, I always think of her selling pot. I mean, she's... Uh, yeah, 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 that is weeds. Know, was it weeds? Yeah, weeds, weeds, and 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 that song about the little boxes on the hillside. You know, it that gets stuck in my head. I can't look up without <laughs> thinking about all the little boxes on the hillside. You know, like and it all looks like ticky tacky, and I just think, please stop. But she's beautiful. She's beautiful, and I love like I loved her in in the Red franchise. I just I watched. My husband is watching The Godfather. It's it's it's, it's on Paramount Plus, but it's leaving at the end of the month. So he was watching The Godfather one and two. Um and. He told me he was watching The Godfather. And I said, take the cannoli. He said, what? I said, it's a line from the movie. He says, no, it's not. I said, yeah, it is. So he goes downstairs and he finishes watching. He comes back upstairs. He said, you remember that one line from that psychotic murder scene? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. There's a scene where one of the characters, I forget who it is, shoots this man in a car. And him and his buddy are standing there. And this man had been told by his wife earlier in the day to pick up some cannoli before he came home. Well, their victim had cannoli sitting in his car. So he says to his friend or his cohort in crime, leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> and it's like the, gun, practically the, the only thing. It's the only thing I remember from The Godfather right now. I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you the plot of The Godfather. And I've watched it a couple times. But my brain fog is just ridiculous. But that popped right into my head. That and you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. This day, the day of my daughter's wedding, something like that. Which, which, that's the scene that is um, mirrored in um, that they spoof in Zootopia, the skunk, skunk butt rug. <laughs> <laughs> the day of my grandmama, on my daughter's wedding, I buried my grandma. Whoa, you okay over there? I don't know. You fall and go boom? Yeah, I heard like a bunch of noise. Oh, no, it wasn't me. I don't think. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> or was it just me? <laughs> okay. Oh, it wasn't that just me. Weird. <laughs> it was like you hit your mic and fell over. I didn't. I didn't think <laughs> that, that's I, my story. I hit, I'm just I, hit my, it. I hit my mic and fell over. <laughs> and fell over. <laughs> um, I. Over the years in fandom, now I see I started with original characters, and then I kind of like meandered through a whole Star Trek phase when I was very young, and then kind of meandered into a Stargate Harry Potter phase after that when I got a little bit older. Um, before I ever published anything online, um, I wrote a lot of fan fiction that will never see the light of day that was written before I ever like like in the early two thousands. So before I published for the first time in fandom in like two thousand eight, I think. Um, I probably have upwards of three or four million words of fan fiction um, that no one will ever see. Because it's awful. 
awful. I keep it because it's my words. I keep it because it's mine. But it's awful. You don't actually want to read it. You'd, you'd, you'd feel ashamed to know me. That's how bad it is. <laughs> but um, it's... Uh, uh, original always... characters are very... I'm, I'm very comfortable with original characters. Thank you, Susan. I really enjoyed writing Fireborn. It is my first Harry Potter story where every single character was original. Sometimes I really regret keeping Ragnarok as the name because all we get of Ragnarok in canon is the name on a door. Um... And then he worked for, he worked with Bill at the bank. Um, so I don't actually associate Ragnar Windrider, my character, with that name on the door in Harry Potter. A lot of people do. And so I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't care. But Fireborn was the first time that I'd written Harry Potter where I wrote only original characters. It's great. I'm trying to think if I used <laughs> any canon characters. I don't think I did. I don't either. No, because he never leaves line. the bank. And it's mostly from Rizal's point of view. Yeah. The thing about Ragnarok is, Ragnarok, there's an interesting thing there, which is that sometimes there's a transitional thing for people who are very, not not writers, but for, for actually this can be for writers too, is an, a character that is just a name can be something for people to hang their hat on. It can be something for, a, for, for people who are writing the characters to go, okay, I'm going to invest in this character who has a name, but it's never still fleshed out. And it can be something for readers to hang their hat on a canon character, even if mm -hmm. we know nothing about them and therefore the author's interpretation is completely original. Here's where that can go wrong. This works great for kind of giving people a sense of comfort. It's a comfort thing only. With um, Now, there's a huge uh, fanon around Ragnarok being the chieftain of the Horde. Mm -hmm. um, or some people don't call it a Horde. Sometimes some people call it a tribe or... Um, I mean, there's all different kinds of names. Ragnarok being the chief is um, there's a huge fan about that. That's the, so so those elements can be very comfortable. It take the, the name people know and him being um, um, chieftain are elements that can make people give people comfort. And then you can go off and do what you want. That works in a closed. It can bite you in the ass hard in an open cannon because you picked that random firefighter's name. That was called out over the radio, and then they turn a pillar. <laughs> now that's an Literally. extreme. That's an extreme example, but you know, I mean, um, it's just something to be be careful of um, when you're hanging your hat on a, 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 a character with then just a name. Go ahead and do it. I don't think there's a problem if anybody were to challenge you to say this character was written before. Um, before these details came out, so, you know, like, there's a bunch of people, uh, they didn't give, when SGA was airing, this is a side, a side, this is a little bit of a tangent, but when SGA was airing, we didn't know the spelling of, um, Ronan's name, okay? They didn't give it to us for a long time. So people are off writing SGA fanfic with one of the possible spellings, and there's, like, three or four, you know? And so... Then the spelling of Ronan's name was revealed, and people were people are then like kind of challenged, like, "Hey, you're spelling his name wrong." Well, it wasn't wrong when I wrote it, <laughs> so you know. I use R O N O N. Is that right? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and like Sheriff Stalinsky, there's you know he was if the fan and John, a lot of people picked other stuff, but the fan and for John is 
I would say there's more stuff where his name he's named John than his actual. Um. So yeah, Blaze and Beanie was listed was often made a female character in fanfic before it was revealed that Blaze was actually a boy. So it's just when you pick a can character out that is undeveloped in a in a in an open canon, um, you do run the risk of or filling it filling in details in an open ca- character in an op- in an open canon. You do run the risk of having your story have inaccuracy. The people will bug you the fuck, just bug you to death about it later. You just have to put the author note up. This was written before we had, knew the can, in fact, you know, actuality about this character. I'm not correcting every instance of whatever. And there's like, in some cases, I mean, Teen Wolf left us floundering on what Sheriff Stalinsky's freaking name was for so long that a lot of people are writing news stories and going, his name is John, I don't care. John Noah Stolinski. <laughs> just, just own them both. I will never, ever, as long as I re- live, write Harry's grandparents as Fleamont and Euphemima, Euphemima, whatever how you say her name, Potter. No, absolutely not. Yeah, if it, I think it's Euphem- Euphemia or Euphemia. I'm not sure which. Euphemia. Uh, yeah. Nope. Um, but I, no, I, I don't write, no. Maybe some further back relative, but not, um, yeah, Dor- I'm with you, Shadow. Dorita, uh, uh, I'm right or die on Doria Potter. I am Doria not Char- right or die on Doria because if Doria Potter is Harry's grandmother, then Draco and Harry are cousins. Close. Pretty close. Because That's Doria was black. Um, so I tend, like, it would be like maybe, maybe second cousins, but still that's too close for me. Um, so I tend to write the Potter that married Daria as his uncle. Was that Charles? Was that was that his name? And I've written in the past that it was Daria, but once I realized that that would make Harry and Draco actual cousins versus like just cousins through Godfather adoption, I was like, no, <laughs> no, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't care how common it is in the Harry Potter fiction. I just um. But also, but it would comes- make Harry actually canon cousins with Ginny and Ron as well. Because Arthur is the son of Cedrella Black? Or yeah. yeah. Weasley Black. So that would actually make Harry and Ginny cousins. Well, but that that that's canon, so I mean, they don't really care about... I know they don't care, but I care. <laughs> so I that's why I did Christopher and Adele Potter. Um for my and I honestly I'll have to go back and change that in most of my fix and I probably will at some point because I don't want that to be uh in my head. Yeah, her banjos isn't actually about cousin fucking and can we just not <laughs> that's all that's about. <clears throat> but I wouldn't use Fleamont on a bet. <laughs> not gonna happen. I feel like she did it just to fuck with fandom. I think a lot of the things that came out after Canon was established was just to fuck with us. Yeah, probably. Like, like when you yeah. know when she made one of the darkest wizards of their of their of of all time, a gay man. Of course, I did it too. <laughs> I made Voldemort gay in, in my story, but it had purpose. It was I didn't make him gay because he's a villain. I made him gay because I wanted to have that um, dark mark thing going on. It wasn't like I was villainizing gay people. Well, especially a lot of your you have several that was pretty right. Clear. Um, but. When you're writing original character, I think I think you have to be careful about how much you. Um, and some things are, are some things don't matter, you know. If if your love of calamari makes it on, just fucking. Do it. But 
some at some point some things will matter more and or maybe you need to kind of spread that that out there's maybe a little bit of you in every character as opposed to a lot of you in one character because if there's a lot of you in one character that is um that is that is one story and and if you really want to do that fine but be aware of that character especially when a whole bunch of your your readers hate your character and it's you and you didn't tell them it's gonna that's gonna hurt your um i personally don't recommend sharing self-insert work a lot of times i think self-insert work is a form of therapy and um and if there's generally two rules for therapy that i would give to everybody is is don't do group therapy (laughs) just with the internet and don't go have therapy with your abuser same difference in fandom i can hear you now can you hear me? Yeah, I can yes? hear you. Okay. Okay. I think you're you're kind of low, right. though. Yeah, hold on a second. Okay. Monty. I love that dark Monty. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to... Like, I know that it's actually, you know, it, there's a there's a form of freedom to be had in, in sharing um, and acknowledging traumatic experiences that you have. But you have to be very careful about who you share those with and, and, and who you trust with yourself in that way. And writing a self-insert is often, um, it's honestly a very natural situation for a writer to get into when they're exploring something that they don't want to deal with face-to-face or full frontal in the mirror they they insert these problems and issues and traumas into their character Mm -hmm. to work through it but when you share it with the world you're basically inviting the whole world into your therapy session and honestly you can't trust fandom with that shit but here's the thing about going to therapy with your abuser you're actually giving your abuser ammunition you're showing them your weak spots and your vulnerabilities who thinks it's a good idea to go to therapy with your abuser I mean, it's just... Abusers. <laughs> yeah. And really, really bad therapists. So yeah, if you ever have a therapist who says, who you tell, I have the worst relationship with my mother. She never listens to me. She always undermines me. Nothing I do is ever good enough. And that bitch turns around and tells you to bring your mom to therapy with you. Fire that therapist. I mean it. Oh, I def- definitely agree. I mean, don't just don't. You sound much better. Whatever you did was much was very good. Um, I think that um, for some reason the microphone that it had it had picked up to use was my like computer microphone. It wasn't using the microphone from my headset. Okay. I don't know why. That that happened once before. Your yeah. your computer headset, your computer mic loves you. <laughs> it wants to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> it wants to be with me. Um, yeah. When it the thing about. I, I, I don't like reading something that I feel when I, where I feel like I'm reading an author self-insert. Um, and again, it is not about original characters at all because some of my favorite works are works where there are really well-fleshed-out original characters. Whether it's characters that are completely original or where the author has fleshed out a canon character who had nothing, there was nothing to them um, in canon, like, like a Charlie O'Neill kind of situation. Um it's a forced kind of intimacy when you're being exposed to somebody's trauma without your permission. Yeah. But also often it is, um, it's not, I don't know how to put some, it's not usually what I'm going to fan fiction for. Um, you didn't come first rattle out of the box with your 
Harry Potter work with a work about Roselle or a work about Armand Deering. You yeah. built, you built interest and awareness and, and people became familiar with these characters through um, other works where they've appeared. So they have a long history in your works and then you move them into a, a center focus into their kind of gave them their own story. And I've seen other authors do kind of take that, that path where they will write with their fan fiction characters and, and they'll have the, you know, they'll have their original characters that are act, acting in a secondary or tertiary role. And sometimes those characters are just really good. And then audiences love them. And then they write a story about that secondary or tertiary character. And that that's totally fine. That's not at all what I'm talking about, but there's something very disingenuous and kind of bait and switch where, um, you know, I, I think I'm picking up a story about that's mothership that Steve and Tony um, fighting crime and having sex on the islands. And um, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> and 50% of the oxygen in the story is taken up by um, this, this, I don't know, this girl who, who runs the food truck. <clears throat> and it's like, why is she there? What is she doing? What is the purpose here? Right. And especially since they already have a character like that in canon, you know, who has... Who, I was like, very... I, I think to myself, where is that guy that runs the food truck? <laughs> Kona Kona, right? I mean, he already <laughs> is there, right? So, um... He flies the helicopter, he does the shrimp cart, he has the snow cone machine. Don't step on this man's trade. <laughs> He's got a hustle. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's Kamikono's really, like, he's the, he's the jack of all trades in, you know, if they need it's somebody really funny, who can... like, when you first meet him, because he's, like, a criminal informant. Yeah. <laughs> you got, wait, is this, like, a, the Hawaiian mob? What is this? <laughs> and then he but just turns just... into riding a shaved ice fan, and you're like, what? You know, but there's, there's just something very disingenuous about somebody telling you that you're writing a story about Steve and Tony doing whatever or breaking up this crime ring or whatever the heck is that they're doing and you keep like half the screen time is devoted to what's going on with this food truck and you're like what does this food truck have to do with anything and it never seems to serve any purpose and finally you're going this is just a self-insert this author just put themselves in this story for some reason they want to be best buds with steve and tony i don't get it but okay um and it, and it serves no real functional purpose. And so it's it's distracting. It's, um, it is, a, to me, it's a bait and switch. It's like I'm going to lure you in with you thinking that you're reading a story about this. And it's actually a story about this, this character that's actually the, that's actually the author. And then you're in a situation where you've been forced into somebody else's intimate space against you. Yeah. It's like, that's not what I'm here for. And it's fine. And so I, I back out and go away. But. You know, now I don't, I don't trust this author. Maybe this is the only show they've done that in. I don't know, but I don't trust this author because they can't be counted on to um, be honest about what they're writing. And so it's not don't write a self-insert. It's not that at all. It's do, know what you're doing, and and be honest that that's what you're doing. There's a real trend in nine and one fic. A lot of stories that read, if you read the summaries or read the first couple paragraphs, it, it they read like these are self-insert stories, right? Definitely Mary Sue's definitely Mary Sue's, you know, some long lost sibling, or it's about some other firefighter or, um, just, just and almost always female. Um, it's just, 
and that's and that's fine if people want to write that, but they they will then be disingenuous and claim that they're not writing self insert and they're not writing Mary Sue. Um, that there's just this really deep need in the fandom for OC centric stories. Is there really? Except no, I think that that fandom need for OC stories happens when the canon is dead. Hi, Susan. I see your test. Um, and when there's no new canon to develop. And you're getting bored with the characters. That's when you're when you're when you when you up your OC game. At least that's when I would. That's what I did with Harry Potter. Um, I'm starting to explore scenarios that I wouldn't have in the past because I got super bored. Like you've been there, done that. I've written written the Hogwarts journey, but I still want to play in this world because honestly, when it comes to Harry Potter, the world is what's underexplored, mm-hmm. and there's so much to potentially explore there. Um, and, potentially and I have to, if I have to destroy those Horcruxes one more at fucking time, <laughs> I feel I'm really tired of it. I'm really tired of Horcruxes. I'm just, I yeah. could write an essay on it called "I'm Really Fucking Tired of Horcruxes." I, I got so damn many of them. I was so tired of Horcrux hunts and stuff that I didn't even want to write it when I was when it made sense in my own story, right? So. In Slytherin Black, I was like, and I actually talked to somebody at one point and asked them, I said, did I sh- just take it the easy way out by writing this whole thing from a serious point of view and other people are basically handling the horcruxes? I said, no, it makes perfect sense in the story. And then I, th- and I sat down and thought about it. And I, f- I felt like I was kind of like, I didn't want to write it anyway. So I'm like, is my la- my version to writing it? Am I justifying it by saying that it's better for the story that it's not there but really the story is not about the horcrux hunt it's not about Voldemort at all it's the story is about um what Sirius is willing to do and how far he's willing to go to be Harry's father um I actually in only time um wrote fan fiction of my own fan fiction did you did, did you see that part <laughs> which part I mirrored the scene in all the world where Varda takes the horcruxes <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry did it again because fuck that noise. <laughs> Harry did go get them. Okay, I went to the fucking cave this time, and I never go to the cave. <laughs> I never go to the cave, but I went to the cave. It just out of all the things she could have pantsed into that last book, did it have to be that? I mean, I understand why people say things like you know, there's no Horcruxes in this universe. You know that there's some other reason why Voldemort has this pseudo immortality because i mean honestly dealing with the horcruxes it gets to be really tedious um and it writing them you know them or somebody or you know it, it's just it, it gets old it gets really old and i mean i didn't want to do it in slytherin black um but i felt like i kind of had to but i didn't want to and so i just i'm like this is all from Sirius's point of view and he doesn't have to deal with it so, um, Dark, I'm with you on that. I never can keep track of what their what the Horcruxes are. It isn't like they change. So I had to actually make a text document just on the Horcruxes, so I wouldn't have to go look it up on the fucking internet every time. But I do think you did something I hadn't seen before with one of the Horcruxes. The the um cup. Yes, that was new. It was new to me too when I did it. I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay, I was like, I'm just checking. I'm gonna make sure I didn't like that. That I didn't think that was. I recognize that was like genuinely pantsed. I did not think about that until I was writing it. Well, it was great. A great pantsing. Take take your pants off more often. Um, but I'm gonna do. 
I'm gonna do a spell check, Lady Holder, and then I will actually. What I would like to do is do um my first read through and do my spell check, and then I'm gonna probably do a beta because I had an alpha read, and then I want to do a beta read. Well, I had a crisis. This is what happens in fan fiction. Um, is you have a crisis, and my crisis was not about the actual story itself. It was about well, a little bit. It was basically, I have an ending. I had an ending for this first book, obviously because I plot ahead and I zero draft. I had an ending before I ever started writing. Um, and when I came to my ending, I knew that it was my stopping point. And that's the same way when it came to my zero draft, because anything after that would be a ramp up. And we've discussed before what it means to have your climax and... I did something really awesome with Dumbledore and this was going to blow your fucking minds. Um, and to have the, the falling action and to have this, this smoothing resolution and then to go that ramp back up, well, that's a new book. And so I had my moment and I had my ending and I was like, are readers going to hate me for that ending? Is that a cliffhanger? So I had to, I had to have an alpha read to calm myself down. Yeah, and I get it. And the thing is, I mean, there's also the issue of... Um people have a perception you know like to me it's really obvious which antagonist you're going after in that book mm -hmm. really obvious from the jump which one who was the antagonist that was the problem for that book um yeah and it wasn't Voldemort because he didn't even it wasn't Voldemort so and so because of that because of the length because of, you know the complications of time travel I I knew before I ever got too far into it that we we weren't resolving the Voldemort situation in this book but people have this thing it's like oh my god Voldemort's not resolved therefore it's a cliffhanger and that's not what a cliffhanger is I mean y'all I'm, I'm gonna school you about <laughs> what a cliffhanger is and all six Harry Potter books ended on a cliffhanger let me explain to you at the cliffhanger. that motherfucker didn't drop dead until the end of book seven for the record cliffhanger is how that um, criminal mind spinoff suspect behavior ended where one of where he had to choose about who died and there were two people, one of them was going to get shot, and he had to make the choice, and then it went black, and there was a gunshot, and we never knew who got shot. Never. Because that was the last fucking episode. Because they filmed that, they filmed that as the end of the season, not knowing they weren't going to get picked up again for another season. And that was it. That was all we got. That's a fucking kind of cliffhanger, like y'all. the end of Farscape, when Aaron and Crichton are sitting in that goddamn boat. And he asked her to marry him, and she says yes, and they're kissing. He's told him about the baby, and she's wearing the ring, and then those aliens came along and blew them up, and I burst into tears and cried for a whole year. <laughs> because that was a fucking cliffhanger. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Or, can we talk about the Glades? Did you watch the Glades? I have not seen the Glades. Okay, it was a cop show. Mm -hmm. Procedural. And he played, he was uh, with, the, with the Florida... Bureau of Investigations. Um, I think he was right, Ellie? He was a cop. Um, and he romances this woman through basically from the moment he meets her. And they fall in love and he's she's got this great kid and he's he loves the kid and he loves he's finally loving his job. He's loving where he's at and he was really miserable when he first got there. Um and he's just having, he's, he's living his best fucking life, guys. And he's bought his wife-to-be her fucking dream house. 
and the day of their wedding, he goes over to her dream house, the one that she pointed out to him that wasn't even for sale when she pointed it out to him, that that's the house I want to live in. That is my dream house. I would, I would give anything to live there. He got that house. He bought that house for her. And it's going to be her wedding gift, and she has no idea. And he goes over to the house the morning before their wedding ceremony to check it out, to make sure everything's okay. He walks in the door, and someone shoots him in the gut. And the last scene you get, the last frame you get of this show is him on the floor dying in her dream house. And she's at the church in her big fluffy wedding dress and has no idea. And then they fucking cancel it. <sighs> Y'all, those are cliffhangers. <laughs> Just because Voldemort isn't dealt with or whatever isn't dealt with yet does not mean that it's a cliffhanger. It just means not every single thing has happened yet. People always will act like every chapter. I mean, people, sometimes when I'm writing on Rough Trade, people will, some will comment inevitably, oh, the cliffhanger. It's like, there was no cliffhanger. I rarely write cliffhangers, actual cliffhangers. It is super rare. There are three and words that I have come to loathe in fandom M O A R, Cliffy. Cliffy. I knew Cliffy. And these two words are hyphenated beatdown. Smackdown. I think you mean Smackdown. 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 I've heard beat down a lot too. Smackdown. I no. Motherfuckers, no. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, I can't I watch the Glades either, Elf. I can't watch it again. And I actually own that whole series because I bought it as it was that last season was posting on Amazon. I went ahead and bought the, the whole season. And then And then, yeah. And then you got that ending and you probably resented the money that, you put that, out. They could have at least made us a TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Farscape didn't see, fuck us over completely forever. That gave us a mini series. <laughs> I I actually don't mind the word spork as long as we're not talking about a pairing. <laughs> I actually find Sporks are very useful outside of fandom. Yes, I I my survival kit for Out in the Wild has a multifunction spork. And by multifunction it means it's got a little cover on the other end, which has all kinds it's of sharp things. It's got yeah, a knife at the other cool. end and it it fillets. It has a fish deboning thing and a fish. Holy a thing shit! For, a thing she for is ready for the wilderness, y'all. It's my multifunction sport. That's what they actually call it, the multifunction spork. I find this very entertaining. Anyway, um, if I ever watch the glades again, I'm going to end up writing a fix it for it <laughs> because it's right? so upsetting. <laughs> It's so upsetting. But uh, Dark says that someone bleeding from a sniper bullet is a cliffhanger. Not arresting the killer is not a cliffhanger. I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just because a plot point hasn't happened yet or it hasn't been resolved yet doesn't mean it's a freaking cliffhanger. Just because, you know, the thing you wanted to see wrapped up hasn't occurred yet doesn't mean it's a cliffhanger. Um, but I will. Cliffy. I will say. Yeah, Cliffy. It's freaking Cliffy. Um <clears throat> But yeah, I, I get, you're, I mean, the thing is, nobody wants to put something out there where they know they're going to get bothered, but I don't know how you could get around it. No, I mean, every story, I mean, even All the World, which is complete and there will never be a sequel, take it to the bank and deposit it. Um, I get requests for a sequel for All the World all the time. I'm like, what's left? Do you want 100k of Gnome Rebellion? Re Re Rebellion? And I think to myself, yes, they probably do. <laughs> Yeah. They want 100k of War Porridge. That's, that's what they war want. Por that's, that's, that'd be reader service right there. Although, <laughs> you could actually just write a series called War Porridge. 
someone asked me who my favorite right dog at, character is, and right from um, the garden honestly, gnome's point of view, right? While they're building their siege engine, um, yeah. I honestly, out of all the child characters that I've written in Harry Potter, I have a special fondness for Link um, in Afternoon Tea because uh, he um, that scene in the kitchen with him and Harry and they're making tea for Draco. And um, he asked Harry to adopt him so he can be a Potter. Oh, um, I remember that. That's that is probably so my cute. that's probably my favorite um, scene and favorite child character in Harry Potter that I've written. Um, I'm I'm very fond of Link. Uh, so it's just yeah. But probably my favorite child character overall that I'm currently writing is B. I love B. B is very she's just cute. a baby, but I love B. Yeah. Um, I'm going to. Safe Harbor Part 2 and Requiem is going to be my Big Moxie offering for Quarter 3. That's so exciting. So somebody asked, I get more in Cliffy, but why SmackDown? SmackDown is more of a, like, anytime there would be any kind of, like, moment or, it'd be like this, I, I would say I started hating the word because of people's use of it in and in, 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 in. In an anticipatory fashion, boy, that was a tongue twister for some reason. Um, <laughs> I'm so looking. That out. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to the SmackDown that Ziva and Tim are going to get. I'm so looking for this. I can't wait for the SmackDown on this. I can't wait for. I can't wait for Gibbs to get a SmackDown. And there'd be all this celebration about the upcoming SmackDown. And sometimes there'd be no. I would say nine times out of ten, there's no SmackDown coming because those big verbal. Um, moments, those big dressing downs and verbal beatdowns, I tend to find the way mo- fandom tends to approach them to be toxic and abusive, and I don't tend to write them. Especially like in kit fandoms like NCIS. Um, I, I, actually, I, a lot of times what, what people will call a smackdown, um, it, 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 it actually is like a deeply unprofessional, and it offends me, it offends me and terribly. And it's 100% abusive. Yeah. To to read somebody putting to read something you know that, that what people characterize as a smackdown, um, especially in an NCIS kind of setting, it's so unprofessional, it's abusive, and the show already has plenty of that, you know. So and bordering on a, humil- a, a humiliation kink, honestly. Yeah, but so anytime I even put and then and so there'd be this anticipatory thing that people would go through, and then for me there'd also be this. Um, when I would write like a come to Jesus moment where, which are, usually I write them occurring in private between characters, not in any kind of public setting. Um, the reaction would be disproportionate. Like there'd be this, I, I would have written like there could be, there could be 10 K of, and, and 2 K of it was this, this come to Jesus moment. That was kind of a small, you know, imp- important conversation, but relatively small in the scope. And like, there would be just like, the dancing on the ashes of that scene because people happy about that smackdown and it would just be like did i write anything else should i have published it by itself it's just it's just this weird it's this weird thing it's this weird thing it's like the the revelry about the smackdown just it started penetrating my brain to the point that i just couldn't can't stand the word and there honestly have been things that i've read in fandom where I started to feel bad for the person getting the so-called SmackDown. Um, Or I've seen scenes where Tony is so verbally abusive to a woman 
that I start to literally fear for that woman's safety. And she's a fucking fictional character. I mean, there's like this visceral response to an angry man being vicious and ugly to a woman that really kind of honestly triggers me. And I have actually had the clothes fixed because some writer thought they would give this woman in Tony's life, no matter who it be, might be, a smackdown. And he ended up looming over her. And Michael Weathers is a big dude. And the women in NCIS are not, I mean, he, in, in, some, in some cases, he looks to be about twice their fucking size. Yeah. And probably by weight. He's probably. looming over them and hammering all this abusive language on them. And it looks and feels threatening and horrific. And then you look in the comments and there's, oh, I love that SmackDown. It was so great. Fuck you. Because that, that actually becomes character assassination, which we've already discussed once before this season. Yeah, sometimes it... I, I don't tend to write... I don't write... I tend to, tend to... I don't write scenes like that. So when people use the same language to describe that kind of abusive scene as a conversation in a scene as a SmackDown, it's like, wow, okay. Um, and, and somebody mentioned um, Teen Wolf. There have been stories... I'm, I, pr- I pretty much don't like the character Scott, you know? I'm not I'm not quiet about that. But there have been stories where the on-screen abuse that Scott takes in this smackdown mode from you know the whole pack turning on him is so bad. It is so um egregious and abusive that I wanted to like write a fix it fic where where Scott gets all better. And I have no interest in writing a story where Scott is the protagonist. So I I mean you don't <laughs> but when you take your character so off the rail and turn them into these abusive monsters that you make your antagonist look like a victim, you you've gone too far. Yeah. So that is that's why I don't like SmackDown. I don't like the way it's used um kind of gleefully about uh what where where people think my story's going. Um I don't like the way it's applied often to my stories personally. Every once in a while it fits, but you know, I mean, like, there is a definite um, SmackDown-ish vibe to Tony's conversation with, um, uh, well, sort of. He's not, not direct conversation, but the way Tony handles Gerard Argent in, actually, the, both stories I've written where Tony handles Gerard Argent. Um, so that, but that's different. Gerard Argent, Argent is full-on villain, right? So, you know. And and in the one story, Tony shoots him in the head. So if somebody wants to call that a SmackDown, I'm like, meh, okay. <laughs> call it what you will. Um, but that's a little different than the situation about, like, Tony and Ziva. That's a different dynamic, right? So um, it's just different. Especially since Ziva technically um, is Tony's uh, subordinate. Right. And so... If, it, it, it becomes really questionable how I've sometimes I've seen him portrayed as talking to her or McGee's. And, um, they may be they may be disrespectful, but he has to be careful when he how he chooses to handle it. Anyway, um, I don't I'm like fine to be with accused the... of writing revenge porn personally. Yeah, that isn't really in my wheelhouse. I'm fine with the phrase "deeply satisfying." It's just it's just it's just the way the word had been applied to my own writing that I felt was inaccurate that started to make it uncomfortable. And then I would see that word applied to what I saw as outright abusive writing and situate scenes that made me deeply uncomfortable. And I would go, how is this the same thing? I just started to hate the word. So that was a whole tangent on how I got to where the word SmackDown became a problem. 
And spork is only a problem because people refer to the Spock Kirk pairing as spork. <laughs> it's not that sporks. I think sporks are really handy, and I really appreciate that Taco Bell uses a spork. <laughs> <laughs> but don't call the grandfather slash pairing spork. Sport. It's so disrespectful. Um, Can't even with y'all bitches. Take back the spork. <laughs> Honestly, in NCIS, there's since they like to kill women to motivate Gibbs, there's already enough misogyny in in NCIS. This is kind of baked into the premise of the show because of Gibbs' characterization that you don't need to make Tony a monster. Yeah. I mean, and they give us one female director and she's the probably the worst of the three. So She went off the f- rails, had illegal operations, and got herself killed in the Old West gun battle. Right. You know? Um, and potentially committed treason because, you know, there there is a case to be made that it makes sense that she gave Ziva the access to get to those classified materials. Mm-hmm. How else did Ziva get it? And she brought Ziva in. She brought Ziva into the agency and Ziva was committing espionage. So there's a real case to be made that Jenny Shepard was by far the worst director, even when you take in the Tyler Owen situation. So we just, you know. Right? <laughs> when your predecessor isn't even using his real name and he's not the worst of the bunch? Or is it successor? Success- successor. Um, okay. Dark, do you see that? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Every single person I know has daddy issues. Every single one i don't have a single person in my real life and i don't pretend to know everybody's circumstances on the server but oh lady holder (laughs) you got daddy issues we all got daddy issues it's just different kinds of daddy issues some of them are traumatic some of them are not but we all got them if you got parents you got mommy and daddy issues if you don't have parents you still got mommy and daddy issues but there's daddy issues, and then there's daddy issues, which is why the working title for um, Unleash Your Demons was Team Daddy Issues. Right? Because <laughs> they all had some variation of daddy issues. <laughs> Major daddy issues. <laughs> but yeah, the working title of Unleash Your Demon was actually Team Daddy Issues for, like, months. Well, you know, childhood is what you spend the rest of your life getting over, one way or another. Right. So, okay. Um... Oh, my brain. I was like, why my, Why is my brain stuck on only time? <laughs> um, it's stuck on only time because we're talking about original characters. And I think I think that, like, Kira has done the work to bring original characters into a focal position. Um, not only time uh, Harry and Draco are in the focal position, but there's this, some characters who are familiar, original characters, but and some characters you've only heard mentioned by name or you get to see them in only time in a way. It, y'all, y'all who saw us on Rough Trade already know this. That you get to see or experience them in ways you didn't before because they're, what, 30 years younger than we saw mm-hmm. them in canon? Um, 20 years younger? It's 75. 20, 75? Yeah, 30-ish. From 2006. 2006 minus 1975 is... 31. 30, 31? Yeah. So we, we see them in a different situation than we saw them in canon. So either they're children... Which is hysterical for the dead marshes, right? right. Um, some of them aren't born, so other other characters have to be introduced. Um, some of them are too young to be useful in the way Kara's used them in the past, so they have, you know, because they're kids or they're at Hogwarts, whatever. 
but we know these characters and so if they have if if there was a, a story about you know if there was suddenly not this story but if there was suddenly a story about the the Dej- Denmark brothers um we would kind of all go okay and we we uh, not all but we, you know we'd go there and we go all right i get it but it would be there's there's a history that's been built there's there's this uh Kira's, uh especially your um hp original characters it's almost mm-hmm. that there's this its own canon and so following them through um different stories and and learning more about them in, in, in different in different pieces of fiction and then some characters wind up more center stage like armand um or Rizelle or ragnarok or whomever and that's really exciting to see that kind of evolution so this isn't about original characters it's the point is about putting the work in to build original characters because i have i have works that have are not i don't have any i don't think i have any works that are solely original character but i do have works where the main character is an original character um or one of the one half of the romantic pairing is um an original character so yeah you you did that in slytherin black yeah slytherin black um uh, the Dark Road is almost the entire cast uh, is original characters um, because it's a it's at a it's at a point in time where there ha- I need adults I need grown ups and I have no grown ups. Most fandoms need adults, and there are right? precious few. <laughs> my heart belongs to Dot too. Um, Dot's I think Dot's probably my favorite um, OC, um, even though I don't know that I it would be hard to put her into. Um, now Dot is a case of where I, I kind of like break my own, my own personal rules about, um, OCs and stuff is that I, I did not introduce Dot through another story. Um, I just needed to tell this story. I needed another grown up. I wanted to tell it at this particular time in this particular way. I saw the plot kind of unfold in my brain and I saw it through the lens of, uh, Peter's predecessor and I wanted his predecessor in the pack to be female and the, I mean I could see the whole story from from that kind of that concept of her being devoted to Peter and so I but the thing is there's just there's this void of characters to work with at that point in time in the canon there's nobody so the Hales are mostly dead um, I mean who you have to make up an entire cast basically and that's what I did so the Dark Road is really kind of an it's almost aberrant in my fan fiction is that, but it's much more comfortable for me to work with one half of the pairing being an OC like I did with um, Southern Black and um, with Tony and Ethan Moore in uh, the All Forgive series and also in Desiderata. So that to me is much more comfortable. I love to Ethan bring... Moore and whenever I see him not being in a story in one of your NCIS stories, I it breaks my heart because I, I, I know what that means. <laughs> just it's evil i can't let you tell me that <laughs> the things i have to live with exposes me to her awful headcanon i know i'm awful i am terrible so it's not okay, this then. this whole this whole discussion is not i have not i don't write myself into um into stories but i still i admit that uh i worry when i write an oc more than when i write mm-hmm. a canon character how that is going to be received by the audience. Um, I really worried with um, The Dark Road, how that would be received. Because 
and I, I saw, I, but I was very honest about that. It was OC centric and it was an OC's point of view. Um, I put it right. I put an author note right up front. It's like, Hey, this is practically a warning for you that if you don't like OC centric stories, you need to back the fuck away right now. Cause I didn't want people getting into the situation of feeling like that, that I had kind of, I don't know, lured them in a story about the hail pack fire or whatever. And, and that that's not what they, they didn't get much of the hails. Agnes. I really like Agnes too. Um, I don't get much. Sometimes the character will kind of stick into your brain. Yeah, some will jump out. I mean, Agnes is um, one of my Harry Potter OCs. We're talking about Agnes Giron, the uh, leader of the uh, War Mages division in Slytherin Black, right? I assume that's the Agnes you're talking. About. Esmeralda. I love Esmeralda. I love to stick her in places where she gets to be an asshole and no one can say anything to her. Like, one of my favorite lines is when she tells Albus Dumbledore not to get shardy with her. <laughs> In the middle of the Wizard he's like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I guess I do have two Agnes's. Oh, Tony's grandma yeah, yeah. in uh, Imperfect. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking that one too. Actually, <sighs> sorry guys. I am my for some reason. Um, I um, I cast that um character, um, um, as uh, Ruby D. And for some weird reason in my head, I think of her as D, and that's not her name <laughs> in the story. <laughs> but I still will think of her as D. Um, Sometimes an, outer, an outsider POV can be fun, and other times it can be like really super frustrating for me. So it so it just depends. It depends on the length of the story. That that's key because I'm not sure I could. I would want to see a hundred K of. Like the outsider point of view, the POV style, it I, I'd, I'd be very frustrated if it was a full novel. Yeah, I read a story um, recently. I mean, I, I'm not really keen on outsider POV in general. It, I, I think it's a very it's, distinct sort of POV. Yeah, I mean, I, there was, there's quite a few outsider POV. It's, outsider POV was really popular for a while in Teen Wolf kind of thing. But okay, I agree with you in general. I need it to be on the shorter side because viewing my because the point of outsider POV is to see the characters through the lens of somebody who's not. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it's just like meh. But like there was a um, an, a nine one one story recently was from the POV of, of one of Buck's shirt buttons. Um, <laughs> Buck wears his shirt too tight. I'm not laughing tight. about that. I'm not laughing about the because it immediately popped into my head. Now, those of you who are Stargate fans are going to know immediately where I went with this. But there is a PO, there's a story in Stargate of a POV of a table that John and Rodney fuck on. <laughs> well, this story ends at the moment that Eddie takes because I, mean, I think what is what is the button's name? It's something like uh, now I gotta go look for it. Now I gotta go look for it. The button has a name. And the button, it always, the button wishes that Buck wore his shirts a little looser because, you know, it always is pulling. And the button wonders, would Eddie start from the bottom unbuttoning Buck's shirt or would the button, would he start from the top? And so the button gets to find out in this. <laughs> and he's very pleased that Eddie starts unbuttoning from the top. Um, but, then, but then his view is blocked of what's going on by, you know, the fact that he's discarded, the shirt's discarded on the floor and he's covered up. Um <laughs> 
I I want to say it's like second or third from the top button. The top button that's actually buttoned is the POV button. Because you know, Buck doesn't Buck doesn't button all the way up. Why would he? <laughs> those buttons are unimportant. <laughs> this story isn't about those buttons. <laughs> but no, there's also a thick in Stargate. Atlantis where the jumpers have a POV and the jumpers get jealous over which one gets to be piloted by John and apparently he favors jumper one and they're all jealous over it (laughs) and they gossip to each other about what John and Rodney do on the jumper as one does okay it's called the friction in your jeans has nothing on the strain of my damn shirt (laughs) and um it's one of Buck's top shirts, but it's by Mansika. Um, let me get the link for you guys. It's amazing. Um, and the button's name is Benton. B-E-N-T-O-N. Of course it is. The, fric- <laughs> the frictioning is, and Benton. It's a pink shirt. And Benton is a pink button. Just in case you were wondering, that is not that link copied that? badly. <laughs> it just copied the number at the end. That's hilarious. Benton button. How much did this? Okay, it's just it, 2,700 words. Okay. Yeah, so normally, the point is, I, I, I could, I don't like outside of POV. I really don't like inanimate object POV. Um, I could, I mean, I don't like pet POV or inanimate object POV is probably right at the bottom. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's worse is like the tree POV or something. Unless that tree is a dryad, I don't care. But anyway, um, but I was like, okay, 20, 2,700 words. I can I can hang with this. Let me see, let's see how it goes. And it, I was entertained. But would I have wanted even ten k of this? No. Would I have wanted twenty k? Yeah. No. Because I just it's just a personal preference that I'm not interested in outsider POV going on and on and on and on and on. It has to be. But if the tree is Claudia, then it's not really a tree. It's a dyad, or an ant wife. Yeah, ant wife would be hysterical. The ants lost their wives because the ant wives migrated to Earth. <laughs> Fuck all y'all. <laughs> we're, we're going to a new planet. <laughs> I don't even know how that happened. I can't even blame an animal for that little t- typing situation. Um, I used to worry about original characters in my fanfiction because um, I already get a lot of crap. I have actually had six contact forms today berating me for posting Fireborn. I haven't checked my email. That's just contact forms that were on my website. I've deleted, I have 15 comments in my trash as well. Um, so I already get a bunch of crap in fandom and I always have. And I, maybe it's my antagonistic personality. I don't know. Um, but people get really bent when I don't post what they want to. And so for a long time when I was just writing exclusively in Stargate and then when I kind of dipped my toes into Harry Potter, I was very careful about the creation of original characters and even hesitated to create the character of Matthew Shepard because I didn't want to get labeled as writing self-inserts or writing a Mary Sue character because I already got enough grief from everything fucking else so I really didn't need to add to that pile you know what I mean well then I had like this transition where I thought fuck it I'm gonna write what I want one person said specifically it was not even a Harry Potter fan which is really stunning that of all the stories that I could have finished that I've written on rough trade this year i had to pick the harry potter one and that i could have i should have picked the 911 one basically she wants she was really pissed because i hadn't posted intangible because i wrote fireborn and in, i wrote fireborn for april 
And something else. What else did I write in April? Intangible. Intangible. Okay, intangible. So, Heart of the Devoted and where Angel's Fear to Tread was in July. And those are still both up on Rough Trade. Okay. The thing is, so, yeah. is that you have really good reason for... It. First of all, it's up to you what the fuck you work on. Second of all, you have really good reason for needing it Fireborn up. Because Warhide and Windrider are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sometimes you're kind of time-bound. And also... I come back to point number one. It's your decision what the fuck you work on. You know? Right. Um, it was really irritating is that when that comment form came in, I actually had intangible open and I was doing my second read through. And it was so irritating, I just closed it. It was like, fuck you. And I, I closed it. Because it was just really irritating to put, I don't even know how many words it is, 64K? A fic out and then to have these people complaining because it wasn't what they wanted to read. Well, people of course, I always opinion, get comments when I post Harry Potter fix that's not Harry Hermione. I always get some Harmony readers that'll come along and whine about not getting new Harmony. Um, so they will go comment on my own my old Harmony works, like they're feeding a nice coin into a machine in the um, in the hopes that I'll put out. And I meant that exactly the way it sounded. Yeah, I get that too. Sometimes people all of a sudden there'll be a surge of comments on one particular work, and it's like. It's like, it's like they have some kind of campaign going on. Like, look, everybody go over and comment on her last Harmony work so she'll know how much we like it and we'll get some more. That's not the way that works. If I, I start work to feel like kind of validation. Yeah, and for sure, if I start to feel like people are trying to manipulate me, I am less likely to do what they want. Um, but anyway. Um, but it's weird. It's hard. It's, it's, it's difficult to talk about self-inserts. And Mary Sue's and all this jazz without talking about original characters. But I do want to point out that people can self-insert and Mary Sue through canon characters. Mm, absolutely. It can absolutely be done. Um, and that is even more uncomfortable. Uh, and honestly, a character like Sam Carter is already pretty close to Mary Sue in canon. I mean, like, she's tipping right over the edge as a canon character in the Mary Sue territory on the fucking regular. Yeah. But when people flesh out, what they'll do is sometimes they'll flesh when they flesh out the unknown details about a character, like their schooling or their hobbies or whatever. They'll fill all that detail in with their own stuff, and then write that character as if that character were them. And um, I think there's this weird thing people do is I think that sometimes they think that everything my main character does that isn't criminal is somehow me. That's somehow my opinion. Or <laughs> my so thoughts. Just the non-criminal acts. Like, yeah, all you the... don't keep people in your basement. <laughs> yeah, right? If it's criminal, they tend to, uh, I guess, assume I'm not a criminal. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. But... <laughs> and the deviant sexual acts, too. Yeah, you're, you're going to get those, too. <laughs> Everything else a character might say or do or whatever, um, people assume that that's my, my view. It is very shallow way to write to have every character be a reflection of your views. And that is a different kind of self-insertion where every character is... Because I've written characters that are much more accepting of violence than I would be. I have characters... One of the things that when I'd like in my character thing is how does this character feel about the death penalty? And I've written characters that have very different views on the death penalty than I personally have. So, you know... Having all of your characters fleshed out with your viewpoint is a really another kind of I would say it's weird and a really dangerous kind of self insertion um, because it I actually means had somebody that... write me about intangible they were really surprised by the fact that I'd made 
Buck, a um, practicing Catholic and also an employee of the Catholic Church. Um, and they were really surprised with um, how I treated the material. Um, I guess they seemed pleasantly surprised. I don't know. But I guess they probably never listened to the podcast and don't know that I'm just like, I don't know, four credit hours away from a degree in religion. I know from what I hate. <laughs> right. <laughs> in order to love something the way I do, you really got to know about it. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And it's curiously enough that my husband is very religious, but not, uh, well, at least spiritual, but not particularly invested in going to church. And as a result, in the last 10 years, I have attended more church than he has. And I'm the atheist. Because I live in the South, and there are two things that happen in the South in a big, giant-ass family like my own. Funerals and weddings take place in churches. Mm-hmm. Like, nearly 100% of the time. <laughs> you can't miss it. And potlucks, Yeah. Well, usually potluck goes with funeral. You get a nice spread at a wedding, but you get potluck at funerals. And usually, honestly, sometimes the potlucks are better. Those grandmas will throw down for you when your uncle dies. That sounded yeah. callous, I know, but but my uncle was 90, okay? He he was ready to go. Sometimes that wedding food is awful. I'm just <laughs> putting that out there. That the means, last time uh, the last... a dry fucking chicken finger. I was like, that was the last, that was exactly what I was thinking, is that chicken finger I had at that last wedding. God. The last wedding I attended had... Almost awful chicken fingers. Oh my! And I actually enjoy chicken fingers, so I was really upset. Like, how do you make a chicken finger bad? Did you guys have to work at this? But speaking of chicken fingers, do you have a buffalo wild wings? The chain, Is that a southern thing. Yeah, I don't think so here. Um, I told her saying she does. Okay, Buffalo Wild Wings is a basically it's a wing restaurant. Right? Oh no, we do, well, we do, we have okay. one. Okay, okay. So now they have this ghost kitchen in their. A ghost kitchen is like a online kitchen, like with ordering, like DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever. You can order from a ghost kitchen, and it's basically a kitchen within a restaurant. Well, my local Buffalo Wild Wings recently put in a ghost kitchen on DoorDash, and it's called Bird Dogs. So I clicked on it because I couldn't help myself, and it's B-I-R-D, Bird Dogs, D-A-W-G-S. Now, I clicked on it, y'all. And it was chicken fingers on hot dog buns. Bird <gasps> I mean, I appreciate... <laughs> and you can get them dressed just like you would a hot dog. But it's a big chicken oh. finger. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I can make that at home much cheaper. <laughs> I'm not opposed at all about the whole construction. So, but yeah, basically it's a chicken sandwich, but it's on a bu- hot dog bun instead of a hamburger bun. So I was like thinking, I could get some aioli and some chicken finger. And I have some brioche hot dog buns, and I have this really, really nice Gouda cheese and some lettuce. So, me and my husband had bird dogs for, <laughs> for lunch, and it was awesome. <laughs> Great, and it wasn't exactly what they had on the menu, but it was really good. It's basically just a long chicken chicken sandwich, basically. But I had this garlic, this garlic avocado aioli that I made. It was delicious. Bird dogs. Um, bird dogs. It's amazing. <laughs> The pun. The pun. No, it was like a breaded chicken finger. So I did breaded chicken fingers, stuck it on a brioche hot dog bun. Which, you know, was probably a little extra, but who cares? A little extra? Okay. <laughs> yeah, the, t- the chicken was organic, too. <laughs> yeah, it's going to end up in a fanfic. Absolutely. Bird dogs. I mean, it was just amazing. <laughs> It's like, look at this. See, they're using brioche hot dog buns too, so it's not that extra. Okay, it's still extra. I know. I know. At least I didn't make them. 
I have a hard time making hot dog buns. Mine look much better than that. But you get the idea. Yeah. Anyways. I do enjoy brioche um, bread. It's not It's not great for you. I admit that. I know that. But What's not to like? Right? The sandwich with grated carrots and almonds. Well, what what thick was that in? That was in, a, that was in one of your 911 fix, wasn't it? Yeah, that's in uh, Duty of the Living. Okay. No, that's a Teen Wolf thick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Turkey, bacon, um... I don't remember what cheese I put in that particular one. I usually eat it with Swiss cheese. Um, almonds, lettuce, tomato, grated carrots, uh, brown mustard, and ranch dressing. I don't know how I feel about mixing brown mustard and ranch dressing on the same sandwich. That sounds weird, but it's really good. I mean, if people put brown mustard and mayo on the same sandwich, so. I wouldn't. <laughs> Just, I wouldn't. You can leave the brown mustard off. You can actually, but not. Yeah. You can leave the brown mustard off. Well, I, you could go one or the other. You know, whichever one's your strong, your strong, your your more determined path. If you're more of a mustard mm-hmm. person, go with the brown mustard. If you're more of a, a a ranch person, go go towards ranch. But and then and then you'd be brave and try them together. Um, okay. You do half and half. Like one sandwich, you put you know one half of the sandwich, you do mustard. Now I don't put get... the mayo and I don't, I don't put the mayo and the and the ranch on the same side of the sandwich though. Not the mayo, the, the mustard and the arangulus. Weirdly, I have to have them on different halves of the sandwich. I'm going to confess them, something. I don't, want I don't like mingle. any liquid comedant on cheese. I like to put my mayo or whatever, like if I'm doing a hamburger, like I do an aioli or like a ketchup or something, it'll be under the meat and my cheese will be on top. I don't yes. like any condiment, wet condiment on my cheese. I don't either, but I will Gross. do, I will do, I will do mustard Mustard, turkey, cheese, bacon, um, tomato, lettuce, carrots, almonds, ranch. That makes sense. Yeah, that separates it out. I get it. I don't approve, but I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do enjoy food, and I do like um, to cook. So that does end up in my works, but I would not consider it a self-insert. Um, cause I work hard, actually, to create characters that are dynamic and that grow and change. And I'm a stagnant old lady, so. Yeah. I actually, a lot of times, will ha- write characters doing the exact opposite of what I would do. Um, or having interests that are not anything like mine. Or, um, not Dijon, brown mustard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very anti-Dijon. But um, you, could, you can if you want. Sandwich, bake the sandwich your own. Um, but anyway, um, I, sometimes I will go with things I am interested in and and will put in if, especially if it requires any kind of level of, um, if it's something that I already know something about, if it requires any level of expertise, I will maybe use a hobby or an activity or a career that I already know something about so that I don't have to go and Google the fuck to get out of it, to get a couple of lines of dialogue written. But that's just a convenience thing. It's not any desire to insert myself in the work. It's just me being lazy. <laughs> um, that was a, definitely a thump. I just kicked my tablet on the floor. Um, but it, it, people will make assumptions that even if it's contradictory, even if it doesn't make a lot of sense, that everything these characters do. And, like, there are people who, like, I, I had Dot be pretty bad about the way she is with kids in the dark road. I knew people were going to jump to conclusions that I thought it was okay for people to speak and say things like, um, I think dot calls Laura a vicious cunt in, in front of, in front of Cora 
and Cora says something like, you're not supposed to, you, you're not supposed to talk like that in front of me. And she says, I'm not your mother, you know? <laughs> and I, I knew people were going to assume that, that because I'd written that, that I think it's okay for people to speak like that in front of little children. And of course I don't, of course I don't. But, but on the other do- side of it, I do think it's unrealistic for people to assume that adults don't ever cuss in front of children. Right. It so is. I learned these cuss words from somewhere. It does happen. It absolutely does happen. I mean, I learned them from the adults in my life, but especially that particular, there were going to be a couple scenes I knew people were going to, people were going to think that I thought it was okay for, you know, Dot to be really abrasive and kind of obnoxious in front of a seven-year-old or be too blunt or too honest with her. And the thing is, I make a really strong point that Dot is not nanny material. You know, and she knows that. She's very self-aware. She knows she's not good with kids. That nobody would leave her with kids on purpose. Um, <laughs> I take great pride in the fact that I taught most of my nieces and nephews their first cuss word. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, not their mother. And also, honestly, I'm going to say this. I'm going to be really honest about this. I actually find it offensive that somebody else decided what curse, what words were inappropriate to use and what words were not. Like, how, like, because I honestly don't feel like I should have to adhere to somebody else's Puritan judgment about the language that I use. And so if I want to say fuck, I should be able to say, able to say fuck. I don't find fuck offensive. If you find fuck offensive, fuck off. I mean, to me, that's, that's kind of one of those things to me. It's like context matters. Because, like, if uh, somebody is visiting my home and I had little kids, I, and they were saying things that were really way too adult for those little kids. And it becomes a matter of repeating. Like they say fuck a lot or they say cunt or something. And I've got a six-year-old who now goes to school and says fuck in front of their teacher. <laughs> and now I've got a six-year-old who's been suspended for a couple of days. You know, it, it starts to be a cycle. But, you know, do I expect other people to control, to change how they speak out in public? Of course not. But would I expect them to adhere to my wishes in my own home? Yes, I would. So it's just, it's it's a it's one of those kind of like I think context kind of matters things, um, but on the other hand, there's a level of swearing that I think that we have to. I, I just think people should relax about. Like I mean, we were we were, but kids also have to learn at some point that there's things they can't just they're not allowed to say. So it, it's a it it's one of those balancing acts people have to get through. There are some words that are very very adult that kids get in really big trouble for saying in school, and. Um, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not ever an easy clear cut thing, but I did know if people would get really bent about some of the choices I made in that story and assume that I just thought that all of that stuff was okay. They probably think it's, I, I thought they probably is, would, would assume that I think it's perfectly okay to kidnap people out of hospitals based upon that. <laughs> you There's a line in Intangible where, Eddie has learned something that he didn't expect to learn. And basically he's in the kitchen with his, with his grandmother, his aunt, his father, his mother, Christopher and Buck. And Eddie says, fuck me. And Christopher goes, that's just money in my pocket. Because <laughs> <laughs> he said the swear jar is almost full, full. 50 more dollars. I'm going to Universal Studios. <laughs> right. So it's like, <laughs> Eddie has filled this jar practically up. And, but, I just honestly don't like the way language is censored in this particular way. I find it offensive. I, I get it. don't understand. I mean, but you know, it's just like why, why, why? Who decided that shit was bad and crap was okay? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. Sometimes the, the distinctions <laughs> it's so are... so arbitrary. It's so arbitrary. But some words are employed specifically to be offensive. So Like fuck. I, yeah, I get it. Um, There's no way to use fuck that isn't offensive. Well, is there? No, I mean, no. But but it, there's no way to use fuck that's not adult. Right. But, because, I mean, the actual action of fucking, there's nothing, uh, uh, nothing offensive about that. I want to I fuck. That's not offensive. But it is very adult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really curious that people kind of poked at you about that because Sebastian actually cusses in what might have been, and no one ever, no one ever brings it up to me. Now, granted, he gets corrected by adults around him all the time; it doesn't do any damn good. But it, it, you know, he does get corrected, um, and but he still does it. And I, I never. The only thing that I ever got about Sebastian's dialogue in what might have been was when he was complaining about some headline in a tabloid, and he said, I guess they want me to live in Nebraska in a shack. Yeah, and some people in Nebraska are really... <laughs> I got some people, like, we don't all live in shacks in Nebraska. I'm like, wait, do some people live in shacks in Nebraska? <laughs> I was like, well, that's not my point of view. That's his point of view. This is the kid who's lived his whole life in California. He probably thinks everybody who doesn't live in California lives in a shack. <laughs> He's right. He's nine. He's you know, nine. But and... a lot of people took that to mean that I thought an uneducated, with a bunch of uneducated people in a shack in Nebraska, that I thought everybody in Nebraska was stupid and lived in a shack. And I wanted to say, no, that's Texas. But I didn't. I refrained. <laughs> people are, people, this is the thing, people jump to conclusions and they assume that they know something about you based upon something in a story. Um, and there are certainly, I'm not saying there's nothing of me in terms of preferences or, or the way I write. Um, there's definitely my take on stuff about professionalism in the workplace. That's definitely me all over my NCIS stories is mm -hmm. that whole professionalism in the workplace vibe that comes bleeding all over the place. That's me a hundred percent, not how I would say or do things, but it's my view on how the workplace should be treated. Um, so so we all there's do something, that, but it isn't right, there's the same as a self-insert. Self-insert. So there's definitely some of me in there, right? But people will just assume that every character's points of view, are outside me. of the criminal, outside of the criminal ones, are mine. Which is weird because these things are contradictory. That these, if you add them all up, they don't make any sense as one person's worldview. Um, but I have had people in real life who found out that I wrote porn. Um, in the past, or that I've written erotica in the past, and asked me if I had the sex that I wrote, and yet would also know that I wrote suspense and mystery, and never bothered to ask me if I had a dead body in my backyard. Do you? No, I, I would never hide a mean, body on my own property. That's right. Just I mean, I know that you're not. <laughs> I know you're not foolish enough to hide a dead body on your own property. I do know that. But the thing is, you said nobody asked you, so I thought, well. Let's break the trend. Do asking. you have a dead body? Thanks for asking. But they they will ask you, um, oh, do you believe this about this because your character said this, so you must think that, or do you did you have all that freaky sex? I bet you did. But they never they never ever assume you have a killing field <laughs> in right? your backyard, even if your character has killed twenty people. <laughs> they don't do that, and it's really it's like why are they like that? What is wrong with you? And why, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Yeah. But you, the thing is, when it comes to the whole self-insert thing, is if I was investing a lot of myself into cr the crafting of these characters, 
it would be really hurtful when people didn't like mm. something or when they really did. And so I think you just have to be careful about it if you're going to do that kind of thing. You know, guard yourself a little bit. Understand what could come your way. Um, if you're it, that, that's kind of the on the sly self insert where you like are flushing out a character with your own preferences and stuff, or getting maybe taking a canon character and making them a little bit more you than 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 they are canon. And, you know, whatever, do what you want. Do what you want. I I personally think it's a bad idea. I think you're you're setting yourself up to get your feelings hurt. Um, and it's I don't think it's good character craft either because it doesn't take no. it doesn't take it doesn't take any kind of work to put yourself on the page. Um, and also, it's um it it doesn't allow you to maintain proper boundaries, and the single best thing you can do for your mental health in t- every situation is to maintain is to establish and maintain your own boundary. And establishing the boundary for yourself is not a punishment for somebody else. No, and Truly. a lot of people treat it that way. And you need to own that particular piece of information and keep it close. Your boundary is not somebody else's punishment. And, and you're you're not required to write to somebody else's preference. You know, or write what they want. Otherwise, if I listen to all the crap I get, all I would write would be harmony. I'd be so bored right now. Yeah. And honestly, I probably would have stopped writing. This is why you got to be multi polyphandomous. It's very important. Being, po- being polyphandomous really helps. Uh, it, it really also helps you have something to retreat to when you get burned out on a fandom that was really working for you or a pairing that was really working for you. Um, whatever your main thing is, if you suddenly are having a problem, you've got some other place to go. Um, yeah, if people complain about your boundaries, it's because they want to violate your boundaries for their own selfish And your boundaries are in their way. You gotta ask yourself why that's offensive to them. So a lot of the bitching I see about whatever, when in online spaces, is people are just saying, this person is wrong for doing this, they shouldn't do it, da 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 And what they're really saying is, they're not writing the story the way I would personally want it, and so therefore I'm trying to fault them instead of curating my own experiences and finding something else to read. But when it comes to... And I'm not criticizing... I'm somewhat critical of self-inserts, but I'm not criticizing it in that way. You can do it. It's just one of those things I think that you need to be careful how you do it. And you need to be honest about what you're doing. Like, I really love that that writer, Buffy, who put herself in as the demon in every freaking story. Um, I thought it was just that funny as hell. That's a hilarious way to do that. But that, that kind of, that's like satire. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it so becomes it, a little bit really clever. It's also kind of a little of a calling card, you know, like, you know, and you also know her demons are going to be... look forward to it. Yeah, they did. Absolutely did. You know? Um, and it's something that um, she could she could work with and amuse herself with in a, sometimes in a story that might be bogging her down. She could, it, it just, it gave her something to entertain herself with. And um, if people were critical of it, it clearly was supposed to be a source of amusement and entertainment. And, and I think it just kind of rolled right off because it was obviously supposed to be fun. And I think most people took it that way. Uh, and those who didn't, it was like, boy, you're new here, aren't you? Because sometimes, you know, you meet that person in fandom and you see them interacting in fandom spaces and all you could think of is, you just got here, didn't you? You've never done this before. I can tell. Um, (laughs) Please slow down. (laughs) Why don't you sit down and pay attention for 10 minutes and try to absorb some of what's going on before you just sit around and tell all of us that we're all wrong? Um, What were we all called, those of us who've been around fandom for a while? Old something. What What do they call us? 
It, yeah, it, there was a phrase. It was like oldsters or something, but that wasn't it. Fandom olds? No. Fandom. Yeah, maybe it was fandom olds. Fandom yeah, olds. Yeah, I'm I'm getting that approved in the chat. So fandom olds, and I'm like, okay, but if we didn't exist, you wouldn't have a hobby. So sit down and be quiet, pay attention. Um, but when it comes to the whole self-insert thing, I just think when it comes to anything you do, it's just like anything you do. You just gotta admit what know, know what you're doing. Know you're doing it for starters. You gotta start there. Know you're doing it. Um, and be willing to admit you're doing it. And then really, as you said earlier, you've got to put good boundaries in place around yourself because um, you can get really overwrapped up in, yeah, the boundary. I, I, the boundary issues are mind boggling to me because if you've put yourself in as the character, and especially if you're writing a whip, I, I don't mean to harp on the whip thing. Somebody contacted me about how I harp on the whip thing. Um, I do a little bit because I guess I do because I just feel like it's such a destructive way to write um, to the, to the author, to, to take a piece and at, to put it out as you're still writing and have to deal with those voices in your head while you're trying to write. I find that such, uh, it's so counterproductive to the actual creative process. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I just don't think it's a good way to do it, but you, I never have said anybody shouldn't do it. I just don't think it's a good idea. But if you're doing a self-insert, let's say you've got 20 chapters planned. And one of the characters is you. And people aren't responding to that character the way you want them to. That that could be both hurtful and derail your entire plot. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's where the boundaries thing is so important. So important. That you can't let... Because it could feel like an attack on you if people aren't responding to that character the way you want them to. And I, I, I do think that one of the big grow out... The, the thing that grew out of that I actually dislike more is the reader insert fic. It was like this whole second person put the reader in the story thing became the acceptable way to do the author self-insert. I dislike that a lot more. And it could be the second person point of view. It could be the non-consensual involvement in somebody else's sex life. I don't know. <laughs> Which I guess isn't truly non-consensual because I did start reading the story, but still, it feels creepy. It is creepy. And every time I've tried to read one of those stories, was this one so good? I, I can't do reader like me. I can't do that because that, that's self-insert. I don't want to. Um, mm -mm. So I imagine like another character, <laughs> a fictional one in the, but I just, I, I did it like twice and I'm like, I can't do this. This is just not for me. And a lot of it is that second person narrative. And uh, I was reading something recently where the author kept slipping into second person. And just that, I, I, and I went, and after reading that, I went and looked, and they do have a lot of reader insert stories. And I was like, that that slip into the second person is really telling. They write a lot of second person. Because I can't imagine in what mm -hmm. circumstance I would slip into second person narrative. I am more I, likely to slip into present tense. Yeah. Which is really weird, because I don't actually write in present tense and never really have. But sometimes I will slip into present tense. Um I think you'd be more likely to slip into first person than you would second person. Yeah. And I've done the, I mean, I've like in the middle of rough trade, I've slipped into the present tense thing, but yeah, much more likely to slip into first person. I can't imagine the circumstance that I would ever slip into second person. So when somebody's accidentally slipping into second person quite a lot, I look at that and go, I, I'm like, I wonder if they write reader insert fic. And they did. That was exactly what I, what I was seeing there is that they had this tendency to slip in into second person. 
Um, and that could be the reader insert thing could be a way for them actually to, if they're used to writing self-insert, that could be their next level of boundaries is giving themselves a, a, a bit of separation from the character. So, you know, that could be like the first stage of putting some boundaries in place. I don't know. I probably reading more into it than is actually there but i do know i was sitting here thinking she's giving them so much credit <laughs> probably but she's i do already know already assuming their future general competence <laughs> <laughs> but i do know that that some authors um don't know how to handle the feedback about their self-insert character that they will tell you isn't a self-insert it's just this you know and then get immensely butthurt by the fact that you don't like their self-insert character that they're denying right it's just this it's just this you know lonely woman firefighter on the streets of los angeles who's going to fix all the problems at the 118 and that, that couldn't possibly be a self-insert because she's not a firefighter <laughs> that's not what that means so, I think sometimes when um, people over-identify with a fandom character and they start to insert their own personality into that character, um, that that's just as dangerous as a full-on self-insert. Like when you give them your allergies or you give them your personal illness or you mirror your battle with a disease in that character, um, you're giving your reader a door into your life that it's dangerous for your mental health because there's going to be somebody that comes along and talks shit about it who devalues that experience who invalidates your concerns or your fears and that you have put into this character so that you can you know kind of process it and it's just it's it's not a good idea it's really if you give your character a dream that you have a, a goal that you want to accomplish and someone comes along and tells you well, that's a stupid thing to want to do why wouldn't you have Buck do this, 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 or this? That's more manly. That's more adventurous. That's more fun. It's not stupid like this thing. And now you, now somebody is shitting all over your personal dream. So you got to be that. That would hurt so bad. So you got to be careful about how much you put of yourself into these characters and into these stories. And I love the art that Kira put together for this podcast because it really does. Where is it? Oh, there it is. I'm, on the, I'm totally in the wrong, <laughs> wrong channel. I'm not going to upload notifications. So many, not all, but so many self-inserts are just like that. You've got all these ordered pieces, and then there's this weird little smiley face just kind of sticking out like, Hi, <laughs> I'm here. Look at me. <laughs> hey, Abbott. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that, I, when I saw that little, that little guy peeking out behind the chest pieces, I laughed my ass off. Perfect. Like it's like so many times when I'm reading a story that's got a self insert, I look at the. It is like that. Going, what are you doing there? What are you doing? Go, go. <laughs> Adelaide Get off the, got that. She got my reference. <laughs> get that off the. Uh, get off the board before somebody sees you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I think one of it, the funniest parts about Galaxy Quest is the self insert. The self insert being guy. Yeah. He he's the red shirt, but he's also the self insert. He's he's the fan that inserted himself into the show. Um, he's super fan, and he's 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 inserted himself into their their world uh, through this fandom convention, and now he's part of it. And 
you have a last name guy but he doesn't he doesn't have a last name because he's a self-insert he gets a last name in the end though don't worry he's okay he makes it nobody kills him he's fine Got but he doesn't have a he doesn't have a last name he, guy doesn't have a last name guy never gets a last name <laughs> um, he becomes security chief Rock Ingersoll or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In the show, when he actually becomes a member of the show, he gets a completely different name. He gets a character name and not his real life name. His real life name was Guy. Yeah. So we, right, his real name was Guy. So, so we never know Guy's last name. Apparently, you have it's a Fleekman. Oh, Guy Fleekman. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, he is a self-insert. He is a fan inserting himself into the canon of the show um, and going on this adventure. And um, for, a lo- for a long time, he did stick out like a sore thumb. And they, he, he would say or do something. And, you know, they would all stop and turn and look at him like, what are you doing? And that is often that is often how self-inserts feel in stories. It's like everybody kind of, you, you wonder why all the characters don't stop and go, what are you doing? Sit down, guy. <laughs> We have to leave before one of these things kills Guy. Oh, they're so cute. They're little monsters. They're little monsters. They're minors. Minors, but, not minors. <laughs> my favorite line in that whole movie, though, is, He's a rock. He doesn't have any vulnerable spots. <laughs> my favorite galaxy quest. My favorite exchange was definitely around the minors. Because, like, could those be the minors? Well, yeah, there's like little kids or something. Minors, not minor. <laughs> They're doing a job, not existing as a child. <laughs> this, this is a badly written episode. This episode is I badly. Agree. It was a that that actually may be my favorite line. Is this episode is badly written? I'm not it is. It. It, it's totally badly written. I agree. I agree 100. percent There's there's no reason for the be just choppy, crashy things in the middle of this hallway. <laughs> And yet, it was in. They are. It was in the show. Well, this episode was badly written, and I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, but I, I love Galaxy Quest. I was actually on the fence about watching it because I thought it was going to be making fun of Star Trek and fun of fandom, but it didn't. It was, it was an homage. It was, it was, it was great. It was yeah, funny. It was. it was irreverent. It was, it was, um, it was just really good. I have one job on this ship, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> Computer. <laughs> I like it when she realizes she's repeating the computer. That first moment, she's like, "Everybody!" When she starts repeating her computer, everybody looks. She goes, "Oh my god, I'm doing it! I'm repeating the computer." But what was what was more hilarious is the computer would only listen to her because she did it on the show. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was laughing with us, right? You're, you're right, Willow. It was laughing with us, not at us, and um. It's just really kind of rare when it comes to parody and, and satire, um, honestly. I When I look at satire, often it just seems hurtful. Yeah. I feel like that Galaxy Quest was written by Star Trek fans, not by yeah. someone who just wanted to make a buck on that. It felt like somebody who really understood fan culture and understood what Star Trek meant to, to, to people um, and knew where to poke the fun and where not to poke the fun. Mm-hmm. So I felt I felt like that they did a good job with that, but anyway. So none of this was about don't. Are we? I think we rarely ever say don't don't do this. But I mean, this would be a strong caution to be careful about how much of yourself you're putting in the in in a story because you can wind up getting really hurt. But from a craft perspective, you should know what you're doing, and be able to 
tell people clearly that that's what you're doing. There's st- you're still going to get people that who... comes with experience. Yeah, it does. And sometimes some people are new into fandom and what they really want to write is themselves. You know, they're, they're, this is their first rat, you know, run at fandom and they really want to write themselves as a firefighter in Los Angeles. That's what they really want to do. Well, go forth and conquer. I mean, there's an audience for that. There completely is. But I just, my, my caution to anybody who is, who has not learned any of those lessons yet is to be careful about how much you put of yourself into any individual character because it changes your emotional investment and you won't be and able that to can just... also kind of cloud your vision of your story. Yeah. So like that, that, that conversation that I has saw in that other server that could impl- I could have, I could have seen that implicitly as a, a dig about the way I write Christopher, but I chose to assume because I'm not deeply emotionally invested and Christopher is not me. Um, I do find it pretty offensive on the, from the front of, I know, I know a fair bit about cerebral palsy since my pops has it. Um, and one of my best friends has CP as well. And their, their, their expression of how CP affects them is completely different, completely different. So you can know quite a bit about CP and, and have no experience whatsoever with what somebody like um, uh, Christopher Diaz is dealing with because his set of symptoms and the conditions he has as a result um, might be completely different than anything you personally experience. So anyway, I could have got chosen to get really upset about that because of what it could have felt like a dig or it hit close to home or whatever. But I just choose to see that as their ignorance about not seeing themselves reflected enough in the story and being pissed off about it, which is honestly really childish on their parts to need to see themselves in the story. And if they don't, they make other people wrong. But I was able to just walk away and not even say anything but in that more discussion. They make them wrong, but they're trying to shame other people for not framing their personal experience. Right. But I just. It's well, no I, one's job but yours to frame your personal experience. Right. Exactly. And I, it's not, it's not my job to, also not my job to, to, to try to educate these people. Because anybody who would make declarative statements like that in public is not interested in having any kind of dialogue to reset their point of view. They just want to be judgmental assholes about people's writing. So I, but the thing is, I could have gotten upset. I could have gotten angry. Um, I could have let it taint the way I write Christopher. But instead, I just kind of went, decided to one of the, let the just shrug it off and go. This is all about them, and their wish for a self insert, which let's be real, that's what was going on, um, and just walk away from it. And that's a lot easier to do when you are not deeply emotionally invested in a character because that character is you. It is a lot easier to walk away from people being ignorant idiots when they aren't attacking you personally. Yeah, yeah, because no matter how thick-skinned you are or how tough you are about criticism on the internet at the end of the day you're just a human being. um and your only genuine defense when you're letting other people in your mental space are your personal boundaries because I talk about like um internet bullying and um the impact it has on people and you know that it can even drive you to you know unalive yourself um and People ask you, well, why don't you just turn the computer off? Why don't you just turn your phone off? Why don't you just log out of Facebook? Why, 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 why? Because it's not just 
on Facebook. It's not just a text message. It's not just a Snapchat. It's not just a Discord message or a DM or a, um, or a post on Instagram because it doesn't end there. It's in your head. Once you've seen it, it's in your head. You just can't toss it back out. And if you don't have boundaries and the tools to deal with that kind of mental bombardment, it doesn't matter if you cut your computer off or not. Yeah, it can because when it comes to the brain. internet, you can't go hide in the library because somebody's mean to you at lunch. No. And there are some things that as much as you can tell yourself it's out of your head, they'll stay in your head a lot longer than you want them to. So there are going to be things that you can't control, that you have no control over, that are going to affect you very negatively. So I would recommend that you be as vigilant as you can about the things you do have control over and not let yourself be exposed in that way. So, and cause there's, there's a very different, there's a different side about protecting yourself versus the whole, um, is it good or bad craft? And I would say that there's significant craft issues with most encounters I've had with self inserts, um, in terms of story structure and that kind of thing. But that's, it's, that's a different issue than how to protect yourself when you're writing. And certainly you make yourself more emotionally vulnerable when you put that kind of personal investment into a character that somebody else may come along and rip apart. But I think that we have exhausted self-inserts. I am exhausted of self-inserts. I I just fucking hate fandom. I mean, I love fandom, but also I hate it. Um, It's so selfish to inflict yourself on another person when they specifically ask you not to. In any circumstance. But it yeah, is especially the, egregious in your creative space. And there's that whole group of people who act like if you have that stance, that you're in the wrong. Because once you're on the internet, you're so supposedly, I don't know what it means that just because you have a presence on the internet that somehow that's opening and inviting yourself to be get any kind of commentary that you don't want. Anyway, I think that we have... Ex- Think we're done with the podcast? Yeah, I think so too. Anyways, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight with this podcast, and um, I hope that um, going forward that you will um, create boundaries and also acknowledge that some assholes will ignore your boundaries. Yes, they will. And when they ignore your boundaries, you are entitled to be offended as fuck about it. Thus, I am offended as fuck. <laughs> you should change your Discord status to offended as fuck. <laughs> I totally will. Let me get in there. I want to do that. It's like custom status. Don't clear for a while. Um, it's just, anyways, thank you guys for hanging out with us. I hope that you learned something. And like I said, be irritated when people fuck with your boundaries. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.